comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here, but that's doesn't matter too much. We are doing a special bonus episode. Um, normally, Out Now is a film podcast. We're able to discuss new movies weekly, but every now and then we like to do these special kind of bonuses, and this one is going to be another one of our audio commentaries. I know listeners really like our audio commentaries, and here's one that you might not have seen coming. We're going to do a commentary for The Matrix Revolutions. That is What? I know, right? Yeah, I just told you. Um, this is this is the third film in the Matrix. Trilogy. Nobody likes that movie. <laughs> it's from literally over ten years ago at this point. The reason we're doing this is because of the, one of the guests that we have on right now. Actually, uh, I'll just get to that right now. Joining us to, to, to uh, joining me to do a commentary for Matrix Revolutions, we have a newly elected member of the council, Brandon Peters. Hello. If you're wondering why Abe's not here, if you see my name, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> and my ship's own operator. Mr. Scott Mendelson. Zion! <laughs> All right. Uh, basically, uh, Brandon, over on his own on his blog, uh, The Naptown Nerd, he did a Matrix retrospective, um, mainly because, what, Revolutions turned 10 in this past November, correct? Yes, it, uh, 10 years ago, the Matrix series came to a close. Yeah, and um, Brandon's a fan of The Matrix. I'm a fan of The Matrix, and Scott's a fan of The Matrix, um, and we also like the sequels, I think, a lot more than other people tend to, so or at least tend to give regard towards. So we figured, why not talk about one of these Matrix movies? And Revolutions, I thought that was the kind of best choice, just because it's, I think it probably gets the most flack thrown its way, um, and it's also shortest, so <laughs> we can we can put all this together and do a commentary for it, so that's kind of the plan for this turner tonight, we'll get more into our thoughts on The Matrix here coming up so for now um scott brandon and i we all have our dvds blu-rays whatever kind of synced together at about eight seconds into the film the kind of the warner brothers logo is popping up on the frame right now and i'm going to just count down from three and we'll uh, you know press play and go so yeah if you're listening at home and listening to this audio this commentary this or watching at home and listening to this commentary feel free to sync up your players and for anyone else just you know keep listening i guess so here we go you guys all ready Ready when you are. Okay. In three, two, one, go. And we're off. Okay. So this is everyone's favorite film. That's why we've agreed to come yeah. together. Actually, well, I mean, in saying that, I'll start off because we don't know, like, I, I like to do kind of, you know, when we do these kind of movies, trying to get our feelings on the series in general. So I'll start. Um, Reloaded is uh, my favorite of this franchise. I, I like the, I love the Matrix Reloaded. I like Matrix a lot too. They're two of, both of them are like among my favorite movies, in fact. But I mean, Reloaded for me just did a lot of. It just opened up the uh, the world a little bit more, and I really just liked everything it was kind of doing. And we'll get into this more, I guess, as we go along. But in general, I like the Matrix series a lot. I like what Andy and Larry Wachowski at the time, Andy the Wachowski brothers were doing at the time with 
with these movies, what, what they did with this universe, what they did with all these, the actors involved, the storytelling they had in place, and just making just fun action movies that happen to have kind of very interesting ideas going on in them. So, yeah, in general, I really like the Matrix series. Uh, Scott, how about you? Yes, I'm a big fan of all three of these films. Um, I The Matrix Reloaded is my favorite. Um, I would say The Matrix and The Matrix Revolutions, in my opinion, are about equal. I think the first and last 30 minutes of The Matrix Revolutions are terrific. Um, while I think The Matrix is a more consistently good movie overall, but in my opinion, doesn't quite hit the quote-unquote greatness that I find in the first and last reels, give or take, of the third picture. Um, and I, I do, you know, the first film is pretty much a perfect, you know, Joseph Campbell's heroic journey. I mean, it really, it's every step, beat by beat by beat, even more so than something like Star Wars. Um, but what I love about the sequels is that, like a number of good sequels, the, Ma- the Matrix isn't the only one to do this, they take the somewhat simplistic wish fulfillment narrative slash morality of the first film and just flip it on its head and challenge it. So you get a lot of gray morality in, you know, in the place of the somewhat you know, empowering fantasy of the initial film. And again, you, know, you could say the same thing about The Empire Strikes Back. You could say the same thing about the you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Um, even Back to the Future 2 to a certain extent, which you know, creates a much darker time travel scenario. Um, and obviously The Dark Knight, I mean, that goes without saying. Um, and, okay, your turn, sorry. Brandon? Okay, um, well, I'm the one of the group who enjoys the first one the best, but I, I uh, the, the reason I like the first one, there's a, a film noir vibe that, I, that I, I think is missing from the second two that I really, really dig a lot, and that might have to do with, like, budget or something like that, and there's a lot of, you know, mystery and un- unraveling stuff and just the not knowing kind of weirdness that I, that I really enjoy that comes out of the first one. The second one I like a lot, too, and it, over the years it continually gets better to me and I, I like it more and more and more and you know one day it may dethrone the first one for me when looking at the series the third one i i, I do agree with scott and i think it, it, it achieves greatness in its opening and its closing but somewhere around the middle it just doesn't work i i, I know what they're going for but there there's stuff in the middle it doesn't work and i think that's to a fault of matrix reloaded for we'll get to it why i, I don't think the middle works um, but it's a great series. I think it's highly overlooked because of people, maybe, maybe the second film getting over some people's heads and hitting them in the face really hard and them not recovering and them just taking that as not liking it and never going back and, you know, checking it out again. And because if you do, you're, you're going to be rewarded. There's some really great stuff and I'm sure we're going to be talking about throughout this commentary well um we'll get to more kind of general thoughts i guess as we go on but i just want to get to you know kind of the movie we're watching at the time now just because we're getting to this whole neo stuff right now where neo is kind of trapped in the matrix without being locked into it or what or, or plugged in and using carbonite he's, he's in carbonite yes. exactly and it, it is kind of it just basically yeah it does take like the return of the jedi kind of flips it on its head with how things are going on with the person that is in fact trapped but I like and, the scene. I like I like this whole sequence that goes on here with with Neo versus this not versus but with this chi- with this child who's a program and the kind of giving you once again that kind of that same kind of dialogue that's re- was rampant and um, reloaded where you have people talking about deeper themes uh, regardless of the you know how simple the language might be. Yeah, and I, one thing too though, once you 
even once you recognize that it's it's riffing off um, the Return of the Jedi template, you kind of get a smile and enjoy it even more. What yeah. You're doing, piecing for, things together like, oh, that's this and that's this, but they're doing their own thing. For sure, that's what that's something I really enjoy about what the Wachowski brothers do. They they clearly are they're clearly geeks. Like that's evident very easily. Like you you like look at the look at the way everyone's dressed in these sequences. Like it, it, there's no reason for this to exist other than the fact that it just looks cool. Like that's that's what's going on here. It's certainly an aesthetic that's that matches up to this series at this point is because that's what's established, but it's done to begin with because it, it looks cool on screen and it's coming from where they're pulling things from, from various forms of anime, from Kung Fu movies, from, from noir, as you mentioned early on, I can talk about that more in a bit. It's just all these things are putting together into their own universe that they've created that happened to get a big response the first time around. Then they had a chance to really expand upon it in these sequels. And it's mm-hmm. something I enjoy about the series. I enjoy that there's just guys that are fans of things that they think are cool being able to make their own thing that's also cool. Yeah, and it really, I mean, back with, you know, this film with people, like when I was in high school and stuff, when this came out, I believe I was a, a junior, but it really spoke to us as a generation of like that was all into computers because computers still weren't cool back in like 99. They were starting to come around and just like people who were into like, you know, alternative music and techno music and goth and stuff. It was, it was just, this was like the movie that just really opened us. And we felt somebody got what we were, the stuff we were liking and people like anime and stuff like that. All these little niche, niche geek cultures were, getting culminated into one really awesome movie. Well, to a certain extent, I would argue that the, and I agree with you for the record, the matrix was really the first geek blockbuster in the sense of something that was technically intended perhaps only to be embraced by the, at the time geek subculture, the kind of people that read, you know, Thor before it was cool that read, you know, that knew what, you know, the evil dead was before it was cool this was a blockbuster technically targeted toward them that but then became mainstream. So, you know, now, you know, 10 years later, you know, geek culture is the mainstream for better or worse. But this, you could argue, was the film that sort of broke that door open and paved the way for the mainstreaming of, you know, pardon my French, the nerd culture. Certainly for a different, like a certain generation, because you get yeah. to the same thing where like Spielberg and Lucas would make Indiana Jones and like the Star Wars stuff just because that's the kind of movies they wanted to see when they were like growing up, like that or make when they, yeah. from based on their own childhood. And that's, that's kind of the natural evolution that's led to, you know, where we are here with The Matrix. It's what. Well, that's like the motif of most of the great um, blockbuster filmmakers. Is yeah. That they're sure. just making the movies they wanted to see in their own versions of stuff that they, they loved growing up. It's, I mean, that's usually where the most successful ones come from. Yeah, and if, I mean, if you go, I mean, you're taking, there's one way, obviously, there's the, you know, the pulpy stuff, the pulpy kind of serials, and then, yeah, there's this kind of thing where you have the, yeah, the kind of geek culture mixed with, again, anime and all these kind of things getting put into a, into basically live action anime. Um, I, I don't want to get too much into the climax yet, because we've still got two hours to go, uh-huh. but... You know, obviously, the point of this scene was that, you know, to a certain extent, he is discovering that the robots, for lack of a better term, the machines, you know, are have feelings or characteristics or, you know, are sentient beings that aren't just, you know, heartless, soulless machines to be blown up. And 
of course, as I'm assuming everyone's seen this film that's listening to this, the film doesn't end with all-out war and destruction, but with a very measured, brokered peace. And what, what, what I liked about these films is, you know, they were coming right on the heels of the Iraq invasion. Um, so here was a giant blockbuster film, a, fr- a franchise that basically was arguing for peace, a measured peace, uh, you know, a, a brokered truce. Um, even after blood had been spilled, even after great carnage had been done, during a time when the entire country was basically bloodthirsty and you know screaming for you know post nine eleven revenge, and obviously the first Matrix came out two years before nine eleven, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's hard to argue that the last two films were not heavily influenced by how America reacted to those attacks, and you know. As much as I love the Lord of the Rings films that ended, you know, within a month of this one, you know, they're some of my favorite films ever. I will say that I do like how this franchise, you know, basically ends up being anti-war versus the the comparatively more simplistic finale of Lord of the Rings in which they kill all the bad guys. There's a price to be paid in the the guise of Frodo, obviously. You know, basically Frodo's a wounded war vet that commits suicide. But nonetheless, it does have the cathartic, visceral, you know, enjoyment of seeing the enemy defeated of seeing Saruman blown up and all that stuff this film doesn't give you that in fact when you get to the final fight scene it's genuinely fatalistic and tragic and I think in the end that's what turned a lot of people off of this of the, the sequels is that the first film kind of promised you you know gave you a certain simplistic you know destroy all the machine you, know, you have the power destroy all the machines you know the moral clarity of absolute right and wrong while the sequels and especially this one, I would say, you know, negated that simplistic morality and did not leave you with the feel-good triumph that a film like this arguably would. And again, I'll talk about more about that when we get to the actual fight scene. But I think this film was very ahead of its time and how it dealt with the moral shades of gray of a post-9-11 America. That is very interesting. End of rant. Bring up. Yeah, I, I do want to get to that later on as we get to the more the climax of this film but for now we have bruce spence here bruce as the train casting right here yeah yes. <laughs> the the gyrocopter pilot from the yes. ro- from the road warrior and uh beyond thunderdome uh and this is one of our something i guess i guess kind of a disappointment to me like because this movie i find it weak just because you're not in the matrix that much i think that, that's what it no, comes uh-uh. down to that's and what yeah that that kind of all the cool stuff is matrix stuff yeah and as much as the matrix is that's the bad thing to all these people. That's what we want to get rid of. It's also the thing that supplies some of the most entertainment in these movies. And you don't get a lot of that in here. It's just kind of, it's really front loaded. And it's, it's, it's the beginning and end of this movie. You're in the matrix in the middle. You're as, as an Zion. audience, as an audience member, subconsciously, you're cypher from the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, uh, well, well, I, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, well, I want to go back to, cause you mentioned this um, earlier on with, with Neo and these, in these programs and how he's realizing that they're not heartless. And that's something that, you know, it, it is something, I guess, humanity's kind of lost in the shuffle of things, given that, you know, the giant wars happen. But that's how this started. It's because we, we, we developed AI. We developed artificial intelligence. And with getting smarter, it also leads to kind of developing emotions and feelings and having ways to uh, react to the different things about reality, which is, I mean, something obviously like Spielberg explores in AI, among other kind of, uh, artificial intelligence related type media and that is neat to see in this movie and in the animatrix as well the animatrix explores that idea uh, that concept of 
what the robots mean, what they and what they how they interpret things, and how this well, the, how the war started to begin with. Yeah, because they they develop a sympathy for the robots in the Animatrix easily. And I, I think I feel like um, where this movie ends up is kind of role reversal with how the robots started themselves. Where That's fair, yeah. They were they were given that little uh, colony or whatnot to build upon while you know humanity just went on with their own thing and and you can see here that the the humans have zion and the robots you know still carry out who dominate the planet carry out their own thing and you can see humans later on wanting to join their you know sort of government Mm -hmm. and to possibly live as one it's just kind of reversed from um second renaissance part two and so, with, and so with all that said, it is, yeah, it is nice to have this kind of opening sequence with Neo, with, you know, the ostensible lead of these films, who's, you know, the one that's going to give you the most action, and he's not doing anything for a lot of it. Like, he's mm-hmm. instead having converse, meaningful conversations with, with, with other programs about the way this world works, and, the, and it's, it, it, they are interesting choices to me, like, in terms of these big blockbuster sci-fi action movies, like, also, it's also well-written, like. Yes, and I, I I love in The Matrix Reloaded that the climax of the film is a conversation. Yeah. yeah. The, the big action scene, which is phenomenal, the T-House fight in the freeway, that comes about an hour and a half into the two-hour film, you know, two mm-hmm. hour and nine minutes with plus credits, and the, the real climax is obviously the conversation with the architect. Yeah, um, and when I first saw it in the theater, after the, the highway scene and stuff, and, and um, Morpheus was building... That, that little speech he had towards the end, I was like, oh, this is where it's going to cut off and be a cliffhanger for the next one. And no, we kept going. Yeah. That's a, this scene that we just watched where Neo just runs from one side to the other, you know, Pac-Man style. That's great. That's a great little, t- <laughs> like that's something, yeah. that's something I love about these movies. They're fun. They're funny to, they have funny mm-hmm. moments. They have a lot of fun. It's, you know, obviously the stakes are high. Cause like, Hey, the, all, all of humanity could get wiped out or whatever. But at the same time, the movie knows how to have a lot of fun with what you're watching on screen. It knows how to present you with a situation that doesn't just take itself way too seriously. Everyone has sunglasses on. Yes. <laughs> it amuses me to know oh. I'm always. And they're also very, very colorful films. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Obviously, green is a you know very much in play here, as well as black, of course. But uh, well, I, I think it, you mentioned Cipher a few minutes ago. That that's Palatiano's character, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Um, I think to a certain extent, you know, the the sequels are lacking that sort of Jack Sparrow, Han Solo audience surrogate presence that he provided in the first film. Yeah. And again, that's sort of the issue of, is this a standalone or are there going to be sequels? If, you know, arguably they knew there were going to be sequels, you don't kill that character yet. You keep him around, you kill him at the end of the second film, maybe. But because the Matrix works so well as a standalone picture, it really does. I mean, mm-hmm. I love these sequels, but they're not necessary, per se. Yeah. Um... And so, you know, as a standalone film, yeah, he's got to die. He dies exactly when he's supposed to. Um, but I think the films, to a certain extent, they do suffer from maybe more of a general audience standpoint that just came to be entertained because you don't have that sarcastic audience surrogate because he turned out to be the bad guy and he got killed at the end of the second act. Um, 
Well, yeah, it's, it's, well, no, yeah I mean, because the, the, the surrogate, I mean, the first one is, is obviously Neo, because you're being introduced to the world just like he is. But I know yeah. what you're saying. And then in the sequels, it's really, it's not a surrogate so much, but in terms of that kind of character, it becomes Smith. Like, Smith becomes that in terms of the, the kind of the fun character that you get to watch. Because he, in the scheme of this, he's just kind of a... Uh, a weird kind of screw in the in the we or in the cog yeah. or whatever. Like he's the guy. Fly in the ointment. Yeah, he's a fly in the ointment. He he doesn't like he's the thing that's out of balance in all of this. Like this yeah. war is happening regardless, and Smith just happens to be an element that's got caught up in it, and that okay. that becomes interesting to me. Yeah, but um, that I mean, yeah, there isn't yeah there isn't I, kind I, of a, a standout it, jokey character that's around. I like no, go ahead. No, keep going, keep going. Um, I think it's telling how good of an actor. Hugo Weaving is that he's the funniest thing in these films and the most self-serious of the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> um, and this is, yeah, this is pretty much the only quote unquote action scene set in the matrix up until the very end. Very of the big yeah, it's a, it's and a that was callback to the lobby in the first one. Yes. Just, just done. Um, and it's it's not as impressive per se because you know to a certain extent we've yeah. seen it all before. Well, there's a sense of urgency but, of what we're trying to do. It's like we, yes. can't, just, we can't just slow down and have these giant long-winded fights. If yeah. there's, there's sexuality, by the way. Oh, there's there's the sexual situation. <laughs> and now they get into Jabba's palace. We were quite yeah. We were we were questioning before we started recording why this movie's rated R for some sensuality. It's because of this S and M club sequence right here, and there's some explicit content. I never I never noticed that nipple getting just twisted right. There. I like this <laughs> shot a lot. Actually. This shot was in the trailers a lot. Just this kind of. Thing. Yeah. 60 with all the neon yeah. lights and everything. I love this shot. Like, and, and, and there's a lot of great shots in all of these. Like, they're, the direction of these movies is fantastic, I think. Regardless of, oh, like, yeah. opinions well, on the story or whatnot, I think the have, look of these movies is amazing. Well, they have some of the best... I mean, these the Wachowskis, I think we can all agree, are, like, two of the best working directors right now. Certainly action. And, and of the last, what, since they... Since, since they started. I mean... Since they started, I, yeah. I disliked anything they've directed in theaters, and I haven't disliked what? mostly anything they've been involved with, with the exception of maybe Assassins, which they weren't involved with at all, besides the screenwriter that there's taken off, and, and um, Ninja Assassin, which is like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I think they... Maybe it's because they don't make films consecutively or whatnot, but they, they just... I, I feel like they're out of the conversation when they should be, like, at the, at the heart of it. James Cameron feels like that to me, too, and he's made, you know, some of the best action films of all time, but it feels like some, he just kind of... It, once he, he needs to have a film coming out for people to start that discussion about him again before people... Well, he, he goes away so long that people start denying it and denying him, and then he comes and proves himself. And... Yeah, yeah, then he takes it, once again, makes the most expensive movie of all time, and it happens to make it the most box op- the biggest box office success of all time. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it was not the most expensive film of all time. I know, yeah. It was yeah, close, but... Uh, but yeah. It, but oh. it, there's like the kind of regard yeah, yeah. people have for his movies. He makes well, expensive I, I would... movies, and then he happens to you know win. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's. I loved after Avatar came out, like oh James Cameron has such a big ego, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your last two films made four billion dollars. Wouldn't you be kind of egotistical? The, the last time I made a movie, it was the, the, the <laughs> biggest grossing movie of all time. So then I take a break for, you know, 12 years, I mean, 12 years and, and I made and the highest grossing film of all time. Monica, by, by a lot. Monica, yes. Monica Bellucci was very attractive in the first movie. Her cleavage yes. is insane in this movie. Yes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I love that we get another Merovingian scene. Yes. yes. He's, he's great. And uh, they don't abuse him, too. I think a lot of people were disappointed with. You know, the stuff surrounding the Merovingian maybe not being fully explored or whatnot, but it works because it's not fully explored. And the fact that you're wanting more means they did it well. 
<laughs> like, I don't think there's anything they, more they could have done with this character. You get him. He's not super deep. Yeah. Well, it, just, it wouldn't make sense that he'd play any more of a role than he does. No, exactly. But, I mean, I've seen, I've read complaints on the internet that, you know, these, these characters weren't fully developed and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, they were. They were How come they we don't know the, the inside and out of these twin characters? Who are well, they? Where yeah. did they come from? <laughs> well, it's the same yeah. thing. You know, I don't want to know everything about Jabba the Exactly. Exactly. You no don't want to get personal. No one wants to know Jabba. everything about Jabba the Hutt. Uh, Salacious Crumb doesn't want to know everything about Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> 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 uh, but no, getting back to your earlier point, I mean, you are right. I think the bad, you know, the, the backlash from the sequels, I think, unfortunately, has marred the Wachowskis forever. Or for a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the rev- bad reviews from Speed Racer were people that still felt burned by these films. Um, there was yeah. clearly, for whatever absurd reason, you know, bitterness over these films, and they took it out on Speed Racer. Um, and they're wrong on all counts, but yeah, that's exactly. you know, <laughs> they're you know consistently wrong, but that's okay. And you're right. The same thing with Cameron; he doesn't work all that much. Um. And I think to a certain extent, you know, without going into too much details about The Hobbit, because, uh, you know, it doesn't come out yet, but I don't think Peter Jackson gets nearly the credit as an action director that he should. Oh, yeah. Um, Even in his earlier films, like, Dead, like yeah. um, uh, Brain Dead or, um, yeah. like, The Frighteners, like, they're just, he makes adventure movies, and he makes them very well in terms of him as a director. King Kong is an amazing example, yeah. but um, it's, yeah, he's early, as a, as a visualist, it... Especially today, where you can clearly see what action directors struggle in movies that are, you know, actual action movies like like Safe House keeps coming to mind very clearly, oh, just because that's a, it's you know, it's a very average movie, if not worse than that, but it's reliant on that kind of shaky cam, very modern way of handling action, and it's like that's a way to do it, I guess, but that's not like fun to me compared to something like this or something like King Kong or something like Avatar, right. where the action's very clearly spelled out and not it's not even a matter of matter of budget it's just a matter of set, getting your geography right and showing yeah. what you want to show in an action sequence and some directors regardless of how much money they have to work with uh, gareth evans on the raid is a good example like it's it, they know how to they know what space is and they know how to show an audience they know how to communicate them with the cameras and yeah, yeah I, it's, I think it's... when people complain like you know there's a lot of complaints with shaky cam but i think it's more we're not against shaky cam it's just when you don't understand how to utilize or what it does, and you're just using it because that's a popular thing, and it turns your movie into crap, which is why is I think, problem. which is why Greengrass is not someone I'm against because he knows no. how to use it. Like he makes yeah. it effective. Like his his punches hurt. Yes, with, with the shaky cam, you feel like you're in the middle of the fight ducking, and and then other people just nah, just shake it, and then some do it in post production, which is just awful. Yeah. Like I like I know Scott, you're not a big, you're not a fan of Ultimatum, but I think you'd at least recognize that the action sequences are pretty solid in that movie. Oh yeah, I have no problem with the action. It's everything else that annoys me. <laughs> well, I mean, then I mean Supremacy too. Like the and you yeah. want Supremacy. I mean that's like oh yeah, maybe the best of the franchise. I mean it, it is. It uh like there are movies that yeah they're they have that aesthetic to them. Bloody Sunday again also because Greengrass and even the recent Cap- Captain Phillips has it toned down a lot more, but it's not an action movie like The Bournes are. Those are movies that. You know what's happening in Green Zone too. I know me and Scott are like someone in the minority on liking Green Zone, but yeah. um, they they communicate the action well despite having that aesthetic going with them. And they, yeah, exactly, Brandon, the punches hurt in those movies because like I get that they're being punched. Like I can see yeah. it. Um, I can see that he's using a magazine to beat up some guy. I can see that he used a book to clobber some guy in the head. Like it works. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that works about this film 
even more so, although, you know, you can debate which is better, which is worse, whatever. Something like Return of the Jedi or, or at World's Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. And, you know, we'll see about Hunger Games. I haven't seen the third film because it doesn't exist yet. But, you know, Catching Fire ends in a very similar way to Matrix Reloaded, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. That's exactly that what is, it yeah, I assume everyone here has seen it. <laughs> I mean, you em- have, it's Empire. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the, yeah, it's yeah. Empire template. Yeah. Um, but one of my issues with Return of the Jedi, which I otherwise love, and At World's End, which I like a little bit more than most people, is that once they rescue rescue the missing character, that character that has nothing to do with them for the rest of the movie. You know, World's End, you might as well have killed Jack Sparrow at the end of Dead Man's Chest. Uh-huh. And arguably Return of the Jedi to a certain extent, you might as well have killed Han Solo at the end of Empire Strikes Back. And would not have affected the narrative all that much. Uh, this film, to its credit, obviously you need to get Neo out of the, you know, what, the pur- Matrix Purgatory, wherever he is? Yeah. That's um, because they chose to put Luke in Carbonite yes, instead of... it's Luke instead of Han. Um, and I think that's important. If they captured more... Well, they could just be capturing Morpheus again like they did in the first Matrix. Yeah, exactly. Keep that. Yeah. The thing is, in this movie, Morpheus is the one that gets the most shafted, which is a shame, yes. I think, because he, he has the... He is yeah. clearly, among the like among the three, uh, Trinity, Neo, and Morpheus, Morpheus has nothing to do in this movie. No, he's the Han he, Solo of this at, movie. We've already got past his scene, basically, involving him in the Matrix. Now he just kind of sits next to Niobe and reacts, which, which we'll which get to. Just... We'll, we'll get to scenes where you can... I'm going to point out more, uh, Warren Fishburne's facial reactions to flying next to Niobe for half the movie. But, which is which is sad because like uh, one of my big complaints with this this film is that is Morpheus that the stakes need to be high for him because this is everybody this is his life is fighting for believing in all this stuff yes and then yeah. he's just sad you know picking we'll get to Trinity dying later but if if there was a main character that made sense to go out in these films of the original cast it would have been him dying for his cause. Yeah, would would have made some some sense there. Yeah, we'll get there could have or, been some big changes in the middle of this war thing that I think would have made a lot of more sense. But we'll get there, oh. I guess. But before we before we get out of here, because this I think this is like one of the last scenes we see her. And what and what what you're like, oh, Scott, what are your opinions on uh, Mary Alice coming in as um, the, the Oracle? Well, they really didn't have a choice. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the original actress died in between yeah. films. Gloria Foster. It, um, unfortunately, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think it's fine. Uh, obviously, you know, in a better world, you, she would have shot all of her footage first before passing on. But as we learn these days, that doesn't always happen. Um, no, I thought she was fine. Yeah, she, uh, she at least reminds you. She she at least seems familiar in her performance, which is good. I can give you that. Yeah, that's because I, I have no problem with it. And like, because I was such a big Matrix geek when this was coming out. Like, I played the game. And the game even has an explanation as to why this happened. Yeah, and it's like so they tried, and it's, they tried to work around the unfortunate thing that happened. But I mean, yeah, they do what they can, I guess. I mean, they. I mean. Yeah, it was her, and then Aaliyah didn't make it. Aaliyah, Aaliyah was supposed to be... So they cast an actress that looked just like her. (laughs) Aaliyah was supposed to be, what, Link's wife? Uh, Z, yeah. Z, yeah. We'll get... I'll get there. (laughs) I'm tabling this thing that I haven't said out loud yet, but we'll get there when we get to the war, because there's something I like about choices made in there. I I think, you know, getting back to something you said a minute ago about Morpheus, and this is, you know, also going to how the sequels sort of upend the, 
you know, the cloud-pleasing aspect of the first film. In the first film, Morpheus is basically, you know, not literally, he's like a god. He's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's the Obi-Wan character, yeah. yeah. But when you get to Matrix Reloaded, he's, you know, he goes from Superman in the Matrix to just Clark Kent in the Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, that's I he's like about one of, that revelation, yeah. where, where you think everybody... Yeah, well, everybody from Zion is believing in this prophecy and like is just like Morpheus, and then you get there and he's it's half and half maybe or yeah. or slightly majority, but there's strong doubters. Uh, I mean that's some, I, I, that, no, that's something I really like about. Re- I mean, again, to why I like Reloaded a lot. I mean. It that's, turns things on her head like a good. It does, should. and it expands the world. Like, and the first, like the thing, the thing that got me with the first mate, with the with the first time I watched Makes Reloaded was how it managed to change things around from how I was interpreting them. Because I love the Matrix. I love the first Matrix when I saw it. I watched it plenty of times. It was my first DVD I ever bought. And then Reloaded's hey, coming that's out. Everybody's. I know Reloaded's <laughs> coming out, and I'm like, all right, what are they gonna do? And you're like, I think about the first Matrix, and they like just talk about Zion briefly, where like it's the last human place on Earth, and it's near the near the Earth's core, where it's still warm. And then you see it in Reloaded, and that wowed me. It, it's not like, like I don't get. It, I can't. I, it's one of the moments where I can think of that I was actually wowed in a theater because I didn't know what to expect. And it's this giant thing. It's not just like a cave. It's this huge society that they built out, and it was such a such great world building was done and reloaded. And then, yeah, you get more of what people think of Neo because he is this way. You get that whole scene of him arriving and there's all these people waiting for him to like give him people to like give blessing to and whatnot. And you have Morpheus as a person that's both this kind of rebel leader, even though he's actually a leader in in the the scheme of the art of the arm the forces and everything. It's like you get you get just you get to delve into this world a lot deeper and I like how it managed to present all of those aspects of the Matrix universe. Yeah, uh, and I think maybe another problem with audiences and Matrix Reloaded was they had, what, four years to sit and and imagine what a further Matrix adventure and everything they talked about would be like, and when it shows up and it's not exactly what they were expecting, you know, the fists go up, and they instead of appreciating what they have in front of them, they are mad because it's not what was in their head, and some people have a hard time discerning that. I guess, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, the, the scene that we just passed, it was uh, the Oracle basically giving exposition about uh, Mr. 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 Smith. Agent Smith. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Agent Smith, yes, yeah, sorry. And a friend of mine had an interesting point, and I, I know how I feel about this, in that Agent Smith really isn't all that necessary in the second film. So, you know, to what extent would the film's have been different if he had stayed dead through the second film, only to come back at the beginning of this film, maybe right here, for example. Well, or if they, if they, if they, if they introduced him at the end of the last of the last film to yeah. supply the cliffhanger, that would could yeah. have been something, I guess. But I, I think oh. it's important because he's he's building to what nobody's paying attention to here, and and I think it's important to show what he's doing because you're not quite sure what's going on, and he doesn't he pops up enough throughout the, the film so you don't forget him, but I think it's very important that we see what he's doing in Reloaded. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that statement, but I also, I, in terms of, like, narrative twists, I see what Scott's saying as well. Yeah, but, um, but you, you knew he was coming back. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, he's, he's, he's a very, he was a very popular part of the first Matrix movie. Like, it makes sense to have him be a constant president in this series just yeah. so much just to have Neo and Morpheus and Trinity. Like, it... No, I, I said I don't know if I necessarily agreed with him, but it was an interesting point. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree with that. So, 
Here's a question. Um, and this is here. I have an actual like related question here for you because just for my own clarity's sake. So you want to talk about revolutions? Ah, oh, um, just kidding. <laughs> um, I like this unit. It's creepy, actually. Um, so we there's there's been like six other versions of the one, correct? That's how we're we're supposed to understand. Six Neo other, is number yes, six. We're six. Okay, whatever. Um, so in those previous iterations, was there not this Smith thing? Is this something that's new? Is that why it's different? Yes. This, that's yes. Another, okay. Yeah. So I, I want to be I want to be clear on that. Okay, so now I am for sure. And I think it, the Matrix detects him, but doesn't find him to be a legitimate threat, right? I guess. And then, yes. and then it gets. And then while they're focusing on the Neo humans. and everyone else, they're not paying attention to Smith. So it gets out of control, and that's why they yeah. Neo is able to strike the deal with the machines. I get it. Okay. And and Neo, part of it is Neo himself too, because he's not making the decisions. Yeah, he's making a different decision expected. this time around. And, because that it, it's like when Biff stole the almanac and we have an altered timeline. I get it. Exactly. Yes. It's just uh, like I use that example a lot when there's things like that. Oh God, it's a good example because there's a chalkboard involved in the explanation. Well, people will will criticize oh. criticize the the rave scene in Reloaded, the rave sex scene. It's it's incredibly important. And yes, yeah. um, because and, it's and not showing, nearly as long as people think it is, but that's a different. No, it's like two minutes. <laughs> Because the previous five iterations of the one were all passionate toward like humanity as a whole. They they loved the entire of humanity, whereas we see Neo, he cares more just about Trinity. That's his life, and you know, helping humanity is like a, a job or just like his fate to him. He doesn't have that compassion. It's all you know. He's supposed to be celebrating you know the end with all the people, but he just wants to sit and go back to the room and get in a minute with Trinity. Whereas in this film, it allows, you know, since it's all focused on Trinity, when she's gone, he has nothing left to, you know, to lose, yeah. to lose so he can put his all in in a final fight. Because, you know, there's people back there, but he doesn't care anymore. He's, yeah, it's not like a, a revenge thing, but he's able to put it all in the line because he doesn't have that full compassion. Random uh, side note, every time you see glasses in this movie, the Wachowskis have done an amazing job of not having anything else in the shot but the actual reflection of what you'd see in those glasses, which I always enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> just did a great job of holding that continuity together. I, I like this scene, and we just missed the dialogue scene, but that's okay, where basically Hugo Weaving makes fun of the entire philosophy of these Matrix films yep. in one, like, ten-second line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the rather ruthlessness, which they basically kill off a bunch of major characters right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a great creepy scene, by the way. Yeah. Hugo Weaving really oh, yeah. crushes it in this movie in terms of what he's supposed to do. As well as the actor that is playing Bane. Yeah. Bane! Yeah. <laughs> Nero, I see we meet again in the real world. <sighs> the thing Now, the thing that bugs me about this movie, one of the main things, is it's so damn obvious that he's supposed to be Smith, <laughs> and no one seems to get this. That always bugs well, me about this movie. But that's never happened. I know, I get that. I get exactly. that. It's never happened. But as an audience member, knowing things ahead of the, uh, like, knowing something ahead of the characters in the film, it's incredibly frustrating to me. Well, Especially because he's, he's talking in the same cadence. Everything he's doing is, is Smith, and it just bugs me to no end that no one else is understanding this. Well, I think they're actually pretty suspicious of him, right? But there's but yeah, they're certainly suspicious. Yeah. What are they gonna do? Kill him? <laughs> oh, uh, we'll, we'll get to the scene yeah. later on with Tr- with Trinity, Neo, and and Bane yeah. and ship together, and he keeps saying things, and they takes for them forever to figure <laughs> out what's actually. Yeah. Going on. Yes. 
Well, and they didn't they say because when they found it, like he was everyone was dead but him. The machines never touched him, and then like his wounds were like self inflicted yeah. to make it. Look yes. Worse. No, they, they know he's up to. They, they know something's going yeah, on. There's no reason watch. to be suspicious of him, but they just the two and two they, together thing. Just... They're smarter than Trinity and Nero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, arguably. Um, what is it? You know, in a disappointment or not, whatever. You know, in these six months between, yeah, six months between Revolutions and Reloaded, Reloaded Revolutions, pretty much everybody had a theory about how the finale was going to play out. And frankly, yes. a lot of them were more interesting and creative and outside the box than what we eventually got, which was, yes, Neo's the one. He's going to sacrifice himself in a Jesus moment. You know, Mr. Smith is the all-powerful bad guy. There's going to be a big fight at the end, and the good guys win. Um, and I, I think it works, you know, again, for a number of reasons that I went to, you know, 20 minutes ago or so. But I do think that there was some almost disappointment that, oh, this went on pretty much exactly as you would expect it to. Um, to a certain extent, the same way we, with The Dark Knight Rises, where it, it basically, there weren't a lot of narrative twists and turns, or at least things that were more, gen- I'm trying to put my words in place because I don't want to criticize, but the film went up a bit more generic than perhaps some people were expecting with the ideas that they had in their head to sit around over coffee and talk about how the film might turn out. I mean, unless you're like really trying to do something different and I can't think of one offhand that does when you're approaching a finale of anything, whether it be a TV series or a movie or a, a trilogy. And especially in the kind of, you know, a base, a set, a a comic book type thing. It's, it's always comes down to, yeah, there's trouble and the good guys have to overcome the bad guys. There's not really anywhere yeah. else for this kind of thing to go. So, I mean, it, like, it, it, like you're not watching a, a Batman trilogy thinking Batman's going to lose this time and the world and Gotham's going to die. You're thinking Batman's going to save the day some way. Maybe he dies, yeah. maybe he doesn't go out, but probably that end, oh. that officially ends Batman for the, the time being. Um, as far yeah. as TV goes, oh. besides, like, you know, more obscure shows, something like Breaking Bad only has one way to go. Like, it... Yeah, it, it pays that to was be another example. Yeah, um, I just I remember, and this is up to another point when we we finally you know the, we finally saw the final trailer for this film, yeah. Revolutions. Uh-huh. Again, it was sort of like, oh, they're basically quote unquote, you know, pardon my French, they're going down the path of least resistance. And I like you know I think it works in the film. I think it's fine. But I'm saying in retrospect, that may have been part of what you know was sort of a discontent to certain viewers. They were expecting something. A bit more outside the box. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the trailer, I mean, the first Matrix marketing campaign didn't even tell you what the Matrix was. The second, you know, the Matrix Reloaded told... <laughs> I apologize. Excuse no, me. No the second <laughs> Matrix Reloaded marketing campaign told you almost nothing about what was going to happen in the film. But then you get to the final trailer of The Matrix Revolutions, and it gives away the entire film, you know, from yeah, from, from I, beginning to end. I was and shocked. I, I I, when I saw it, I was like, what? Whoa. I don't remember it, but it was pretty surprising. I remember knowing what the basic arc was going to be just because yeah. it had to be. I mean, it, that's what it is. I mean, that's why I think a lot of these kind of second entries in a lot of these franchises are the most interesting because they have the most – they they can't end and they already have a beginning in form of a first movie, so it's – 
it has to do enough to entertain you while knowing that the story is not going to be over, which is why I think Empire works the best because it's able to kind of take you down a darker path knowing that there's going to be another movie where you can, you know, wrap up certain beats so you can leave things in disarray and make them a more interesting way to take a film because there's something else coming. Same with Reloaded, same with uh, Dark Knight. Like, there's just there's different ways to take those kind of second chat ch- two towers another good example I yeah and everybody uh, always loves those those darker second chapters and i've always i've always been curious you know i like a lot of them myself I, i've always been curious is it because we have that safety net in the back of our mind of knowing it's going to end okay in the third one um i i see i, I don't know i don't know what the reasoning is because i and i can't just say it's because i like things darker it's just i don't like just i get darker, a, I, yeah i just have a i have a nice i have a good response to a film that i guess isn't just wrapped up in a pretty bow but has a lot like something like empire i mean there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens and there's a giant twist in that movie and there's you know there's a a fleeting conclusion that says, did we win? Like, it's just all these different elements that make something more interesting to me than I guess, you know, just the standard, like, yep, yeah, we got them. Like, um, no, no, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, but again, I just, I remember seeing the final preview for this film and just being shocked at how it basically gave away most of the plot beats. I mean, specific plot beats. Yeah, they gave um, away the uh, the the main computer, the look of it, and everything. Yeah, when he was standing yeah. right in front and yeah. communicating. I was like, "What?" Nice um, seeing you, um, Gina Torres here. That's money. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. and here, yeah, here we go to the oh, is part it, I just oh, don't yeah, care for. Yeah, the kid stuff. We'll we'll yeah, talk about well, this more. I never took the training, like. Um, <laughs> but uh, with Gina Torres, Gina Torres, she's married to Lawrence Fishburne at this time, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, well, they're still married. They're still married, right? Yeah. They, they pop. She pops up in a lot of projects. He's on. Yeah, she's on. She, they're married on Hannibal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah, of course, uh, she's um, Zoe on a Firefly. Firefly. I like Gita Torres. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it now because I want to. Um, before something I really admire about the series, and especially as you know, like a high schooler growing up watching these movies um, when when they came out. They have something that I wasn't seeing very often, which is something that the Fast, Fast and Furious franchise kind of carried forward. It has minorities and women taking a lot of big action roles in all yes. both these movies, all yeah. three of these movies, especially this third one, where the war, the main parts of the war, besides this kid stuff, is is two women, one of them black, like just going around doing just awesome war stuff and helping out with the battle. None of this is called attention to. It's not a matter of, oh, you're a woman, you can only do this kind of stuff. But like, it's just that's the way it is. And that, that's been carried forward in the Fast and Furious movies as well, where you have just this kind of international cast and of, with different genders involved, all the, all participating in the same action together. And yeah, that's and something I really like that the Wachowskis have done in all their movies, actually. I, I agree with you, because I, I was thinking about this recently, too, when I was doing these and some other things. Like, just first movies alone from this time period, of range of, like, you know, let's say five to seven years... Mm-hmm. Um, the Matrix and Fast and Furious. Say what you will about the first Fast and Furious, but you watch that. You remember the characters from there, and you remember them from the Matrix names and everything. Like it's just those two movies started out with such good work on characterization and making you whether you like the characters or not, they're pretty memorable. You know them by names. You know what they do, and both these movies really excelled from that. And it's no surprise that they both franchised. And did well with respective 
stuff no, because I, the character I, work was there. No, I remember when the first film, especially when the second film came out, but also the first film, yep. the idea that part of what made the, this trilogy sort of the heralding of, in theory, a heralding of a new wave of you know, cinema was how multicultural they were. For sure. I mean, there were yeah. any number of, you know, hand-wringing, you know, essays about, oh, it's so multicultural, blah, 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 blah. And they were right. Unfortunately, it didn't lead to much because, you know, worldwide, I'm not going to, a number of reasons why arguably cinema became more white and more male, but that's for another day. Um, so, yes, you know, 10 years later, unfortunately, these films, to a certain extent, are an anomaly. They were not the first of many. Wait, and it's funny, like, because it's like maybe Matrix and maybe like the Blade series. I think those are the only ones that were like yeah. really kind yeah. of cashed in on that without paying much attention to that fact. And the sad thing about at least the first Blade film, yeah. it is still noteworthy even today that you had Wesley Snipes, a black guy, and his love interest was also black. Mm-hmm. They didn't yeah. cast Eva Mendes. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, unfortunately, that, that she that, she was in Children of the Corn Five at the time. <laughs> Um, but even today, there, there, you know, for a number of reasons on both sides of the, you know, racism aisle, there is a certain, you know, if you have a black guy, great. But if he's with a female black, you know, fem- black love interest, uh oh, then it's a black film. But if he's she's with a white girl, uh oh, that's gonna piss people off on both sides. So you cast a Latino. Um, you, unfortunately, that's you, you know, even even the Princess and the Frog, a Disney movie, for God's sakes, the love interest in that was a Latino guy. It's, um, neat. it's neat how these kind of things play. Like, it's just why. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it's... it's. And it comes, I mean, it comes down to studios. So it's because you see, like, something like, I don't like Pacific Rim this past summer. You got an international director, and he decided to get an international cast for the movie. Yeah. You have you have British Idris Elba. You have Ringo Kikuchi. Yeah. You have, and then you have, you know, generic Yes, you white get guy. British Idris Elba. You don't have to make him... It... Try to swing an American accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just being, yeah, he's being himself. Like, <laughs> there's so many movies that unnecessarily have people speaking not in their native tongue. It just didn't make sense. But I guess studio thoughts on what people will see. I guess. Yeah, like we're having like what the new Jack Ryan movie has American Karen Knightley. Who doesn't know that Karen Knightley's British? Like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's the point of this? I'm pretty sure Kenneth Branagh is not Russian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he all he could he could never you know, use articles and sentences. That's always been true. Um, one thing I'd like to bring up of interest, you know, we're about to have a relatively violent murder scene come up, and one thing I, you know, for better or worse, this film is mo- much more graphically violent than The Matrix Reloaded. Yes, and yeah. the only reason I noticed that is because there was a lot of talk with the Matrix up to the Matrix Reloaded on, frankly, the Columbine effect. Yes, yeah. Because for better or worse, because the two kids that, that did the Columbine shooting called themselves the trench coat, or were alleged to have called themselves the trench coat mafia. You know, I think when they heard that, a lot of people pictured Neo with two machine guns blowing through a school out, you know, a school hallway. Mm-hmm. Obviously, much of what we thought we know about Columbine isn't true, but that's for another day. But this, the first Matrix film was sort of held up as the pinnacle of movies that cause violence among youth. Matrix yeah, so, and Marilyn Manson. Marilyn, they got exactly, this that's what it was. Exactly what it was. Yeah. So four years later, when the Matrix Reloaded came out, you know, uh, I think it was Jill Silver who said, you know, to his credits, like, you know, we're not going to try for a PG-13. We're just going to make the movie that we get. But it's clear when you watch the Matrix Reloaded that if they could have cut around to a PG-13, they would have, because there's very little blood in that film. Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff is is the difference, like. You're in the Matrix with all most of yeah, the action yeah. and, and Reloaded, and here you're in the real world, so it's it, it's more 
yeah, there's graphic no, you can't, and you real. can't do fancy kung fu moves to dispatch your enemies. You have to use well, bullets and machines ripping through people. <laughs> yeah. But even in the first film, I thought it was more violent than the second one, if for no other reason than for the lobby fight scene or the lobby yeah, shooting. But scene. there's no there's no blood um, there. It's yeah. It's, it's it's, sh- um, it's shots being fired, guys have, falling have, down. Yeah, having having just watched because I I've watched all three of these movies in, in the past yeah. in the recent time. Like the first Matrix, it's yeah. I mean they're it's violent, but it's certainly not strong violence. And I agree with you about the Matrix Reloaded. It's also not strong violence, and it does it it just it 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 doesn't feel like it's going for a certain rating per se. It just yes. feels like it's its own thing that happens to fit into the rating that it got. Yes. Yeah. Which is a good thing. I mean, I, I think yeah. you know, it's 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 you know, these days, I always I'm always happy when I see a film that's R-rated that didn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, you know, something like Argo, which could have easily been a PG-13, aside from cutting out the catchphrase, but that's another story. Um, they could have said it once. Yeah, exactly. Could have said it once. Um, but you know, I remember seeing this film and thinking, oh, okay, this one's clearly you know went for the R rating. Um. You know, there's a, there's a scene during the war scene where one of the major characters just gets ripped to pieces by the machines. Yeah. Um, one thing that always bugged me about this is that Trinity didn't hug Morpheus. Because you know what? She's known Morpheus a lot longer than Neo has. She should be just as sad about never seeing him again as Neo is. But that's a minor pet peeve that nobody else probably cares about. I don't dis care about it. It's just like the, you know, the... <laughs> The, the the stakes involved here and what you're supposed to understand is yeah coming up it, like it Mor- Morpheus and Neo have a it's very much about that that relationship in that scene and that the fact that ne- Han Mor- saying bye to the Falcon Morpheus believes so much in this thing and Neo believes so much or want, wants to be able to kind of you know please Morpheus to an extent but also you know be the yeah. re- fully realize the fact or uh, re- realize this uh, philo- this uh, prophecy that's supposed to happen and yeah. You need, I guess, you just need to focus on that bond between them. But I, I see where you're coming from on that, Trinity. You know, it's interesting. We, I always talk about how, oh, the the middle hour of this film is the one that kind of stinks. But we're 50 minutes into the film, and the and the you know the robot fighting hasn't started yet. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. We may end up finding, oh wait, the stuff that we hate isn't it isn't doesn't take up that much of the movie. I mean, it's it's not it's not stuff that I hate. Like honestly, like I I think it's I don't think it's it's I, um I. It's not as long as we're thinking, but it, it just feels that way when, when yeah. watching. I'm not. I'm not a fan of it either, Scott. So yeah. Um. It's just that a lot of the movie is not happening in the Matrix, and that's that's the that's, main thing for me. Yeah, it's that's one thing because the, the first one's like 75% Matrix and 25% real world. The, the next one's 50-50, and this one takes the first one the opposite direction. Yes, and you and that, really miss the Matrix because that's what the Matrix essentially is. What makes this the series and movies so unique? Because when you take it out of the Matrix, it's not generic sci-fi, but it's it's not as special as it was. It's honestly oh, it's right. it's also pacing for me too. I do think this one is paced slower, um, and it's not nor it's not normally something I complain about necessarily. But the thing I something I like about Reloaded is, and for some reason other people think it's not true, but I think Reloaded just go go go. That movie oh, just yeah. flies by for me, and I think that that's something that that's something that makes it put it slightly ahead of the Matrix is because I do think the Matrix kind of takes its time in what it's trying to do, which isn't a bad thing. But you get to the Oracle stuff and you're like. I kind of want to see some fighting right now, <laughs> and like I just feel like Reloaded has the talking, 
but it also seems like there's so much more plot momentum in that movie just because you know you know there's something big coming in form of these these um the violence or that sorry the um the machines drilling and everything right i need to mention this really quick as we get going uh roland this character right here australian actor um he's in this movie called the square that i like really a lot actually it's a australian neo-noir oh, yeah. it also yeah, features yeah, yeah, yeah. um what's his name um joel edgerton um but yeah david roll david roberts is the actor um, I like to play something called the God Damn It game when I watch this movie. Um, his character says God Damn It a lot, and it's very easy <laughs> to take a shot every time he says God Damn It. Just saying. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if people want to start playing that game, they can, because he says God Damn It a goddamn lot in this movie. For what it's worth, and, and call it cliche, call it whatever, in both sequels, they have ex- brief sequences where Trinity is held hostage at knife point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I noticed that because one of the things I liked about the first film is that she was not in any way, you know, you know, the end of the second act, it was Morpheus that got captured instead of Trinity. So I was sort of annoyed in the sequels that they went back to cliche. Well, I mean, the well, fr- Tr- Trinity got to be a badass, too. She wasn't just holding Neo's hands and running from explosions. She was exactly. even more involved in flying a helicopter, like yeah. everything. I, I mean... This one you can, uh, this one maybe is cliche. The first one that's like a ha- that's like less than thirty seconds of a scene where she's being held at knife. Yeah, like it, it could have easily been the other way around, and I, don't, yeah. I don't think it's like why didn't they? I think just think it's that's the way things wound up, opposed to choosing to have the female be the one that's in jeopardy. Um, and you know they gave away this scene in the last trailer. Yeah. Um, I mean they gave away a sequence where you could clearly see that he's blind. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So the entire film, I'm waiting for him to get blinded. Which is the oh. kind of thing that, yeah, that's the kind of thing, it's same with like when someone loses a limb and something, I'm like, oh, he needs that. Like, that sucks. Like, I get really, I get really sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, that's something that person needs. Uh, eyes, what? Well, this is kind of, you know, when he loses his eyesight here, it kind of is the first hint to, you know, if you're someone who's, you know, writes and like watches a ton of movies and stuff, you're, that Neo's not going to make it out of this film. Whether the result be good or bad, like, they're not going to, you know, it's not a happy ending for him to just be, you know, melted face with no eyes. Yeah, no, you're right. Did they piece it together yet? I wasn't paying attention that he's Smith. No, he still hasn't figured it out I yet. swear, these people. He's, he's, he's almost <laughs> there. It's so Watch Cam Space. He's calling him Mr. Anderson. He's doing a spot-on impression. It's just so much. <laughs> I did like that Kennedy kicked the shit out of his face, so that was just pretty good. Oh, yeah, and, and she, has a, she has a boot connection that just spews blood. Yeah, oh, my awesome. God. Yeah. <laughs> I See, and that's something, like, obviously this movie has no time to explore that, but I did find it interesting that Smith got into the real world. Like, and that's... Yeah. That's a neat idea that kind of you kind of you just see hints of it in the Reloaded where he starts to, you know, he's cutting himself because he's feeling pain for the first time, these kind of stuff, and it's... It's an interesting concept that this movie it's, works yeah. with. Yeah, it's a concept that had things gone further, you could have explored trade, uh, traded consciousness, with, like even just with people in the. I mean, that are already out of the matrix, swapping bodies and stuff like that. But yeah. maybe one day, because I, I I don't think we've seen the last of the matrix. Because you know, never say never with anything. Well, if Disney buys up every other studio's properties, Warner Brothers isn't going to have a choice but just keep rebooting whatever they've got. <laughs> like I, I've said, if people haven't read my articles or whatever, I, I always I think 
television's a great path if they're ever going to resurrect the Matrix. Uh, certainly a CG. Incredible possibility. Uh, yeah. Like, CG animated series would be amazing, like, on, like, Adult Swim or something like that. Like, I could easily see that happening. Well, you could do that. You could do live action. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, so you could much... do an anthology series. You could do an episodic with, I mean, you, know, you look, you look at the, you just, you look at the Animatrix, you look at that flight of the, the, the last, the final flight of the Osiris, and it's just like, how, why can't we see more of this? Like, it's so... Yes. Well, that stuff was, gra- that was groundbreaking back then, too. Those people looked, like, back then they looked real. To me, like, it was like, wow, this is almost, almost, like, there's certain shots where I felt like it looked like real people, but now I look at it, and it, it still holds up quite well, but I, I can tell a little more that it's... Well, yeah, because that, that goes with any animation, but it's like, it's just... It's, I mean, now we have we have Hologram Tupac, so... Yeah, it's about strength of story and character over yeah. and voices and everything that go well, with yes. it. Like, that's why it's, you can watch something like Toy Story, which looks obviously very dated at this point but still yeah. works because it's a very funny movie and a very memorable movie and a very well told story like john carpenter said about people asking him about film versus digital he said just make a good movie and nobody's gonna care i love this look of smith in the real world with neo's eyes yeah and yeah. Uh, even though his face didn't actually like get busted out like it's just a neat idea of how to show that scene neo is now daredevil yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reeves could be a good Daredevil. I could see that. Like an alternate universe, I could have seen that happening. Him playing Matt Murdock. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the. And for the record, just because you know, I think it needs to be said, he is really good in all three of these films. I, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, people like to bag on him for whatever. I mean, I have my theories on why, but not everyone can do this. No, not not everyone could have given this kind of performance and done it well. Um, and we do I, I think that Will needs Smith to be said. Here? Hell no. <laughs> and I like Will Smith, but that's that's not something that that plays to his strengths. No, I agree, and I agree with you about Keanu Reeves. I think at this point in his career, especially, and I think we t- we talked we discussed this on Facebook. I think at some point I was asking yeah. when did when did Keanu Reeves start becoming kind of more. Like not like necessarily a better actor, but just when did he start choosing roles that obviously fit what he's able to do as an actor? And I think yeah, I think Matrix is probably you know basically the the best time for that. He he started playing these roles that seem very fit for Keanu Reeves, uh, his the the talents that he has as an actor. And yeah, in these three movies, he does ex- he he exudes the kind of confidence you need for these kind of roles. In the first one, he's obviously playing the audience cipher. He has a lot of questions on his mind. But something I like, but something I really like about Reloaded is how he isn't just like, and I talked about this about Brent to Brandon before. Like, he isn't just because he's the one in after the first Matrix. He doesn't automatically take over. He's not like now I'm the leader of everything. He's still just he's just the heavy in Reloaded. He's, he's just yeah, the, he's the goon. He's, he's the <laughs> guy that Morpheus brings along to his big speeches because he needs some all the other guy to like just reinforce the words he's saying. And I like that. I like yeah. that Morpheus is still very much in charge. I like that there's a whole Senate in place in Zion. I like that there are people that just, it's not just he's blindly the, he's not like, uh, he's not uh, Jake Sully in Avatar. He didn't just become the best of everybody, even though he wasn't born on on, on Pandora. <laughs> like, he, he, he's still, you know, kind of figuring out what's going on. And Keanu Reeves does a good job of playing that and of being selling the romantic lead aspect and selling the naivete of no, understanding the matrix completely if anything though he's he's still thomas anderson like he's still he doesn't want to be you know the star of the show but he's still got tons of questions about things still and, jumping and down the rabbit hole 
Yes, yeah, still like he's still Thomas Anderson when it comes down to it. Um, yeah, I agree with every word of that. Um, shoot, I had a thought but I lost it. <laughs> um, we had the kid stuff we just skipped over because I know you're interested in all that. Nah, not really. <laughs> but again, you know, we're an hour into the movie before the quote unquote battle starts. Um, and by the way, yes, The Square is an excellent film. Um, oh yeah, have, that's a cool movie. Yeah, I think it made my best films you missed list that year. Was it 2011? I think something like yeah, that or 10 maybe. Uh, yeah, it's, um, a, it's a solid neo noir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think one of the reasons that the, these films work is, is that you know one of the reasons I like the rave sequence in the second film, why I think it's so important, is it actually shows the characters who are fighting for freedom or survival actually enjoying their lives. Yeah, it's, I think it's, that's very it, important. It's something we don't see all that often. It's a really sexy scene. Like, yeah, it is. and it actually has the male and female lead actually having sex. Yeah. They're actually in a full-throttle romantic relationship that isn't just a chaste kiss at the end of each film. Um, And, like, yeah, like, because I, uh, I was watching you later, I was texting Brandon, it's like, this scene's so hot, and you know, like, when yeah. do you see that in a big summer blockbuster movie? And, and like, I, like I told you, a general American audiences see sex and, and feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I Especially think weirder, kinkier sex. Uh, I mean, look how sexless, look how sexless today's blockbusters are. I mean, you know, Jenna Malone what steals, you, you know, oh, okay. uh, catching fire just by being hot. I, yeah. I mean, you know, Jenna Malone steals catching fire just by being hot. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't think of anything of today, but just how shocking it would, I mean, then, but how shocking today, you know, Burton's Batman, they actually sleep together on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love mean, this just, stuff, by the way. This good, That is cool. Just her flying this ship around with the way the, um, the hover pads, like, kind of. <laughs> just kind of, she's like the way she's diverting power to make the ship kind of fly through these sewer systems. I think that stuff's actually pretty cool. Well, I think the production design of this stuff, especially in the quote unquote real world, you know, you do have that dirt and grime and rust that I feel fair or not people felt were missing from the pre the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I would say if you really, you know, if you really, you know, watch the Star Wars prequels, there is still dust and grime and a little bit of dirt there but because it's all cgi it it, it does it's it's it doesn't stand out as much all this stuff looks real yes uh well, and in this in this film to a certain extent well the, th- the thing is with the pre- i don't want to go at the prequels too much but i, I think we I, i'm pretty sure we're all okay with them for the most part i like part. them if, yes if not if yeah, not more I, so. I don't yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly I'm not a prequel hater but it fits with what's going on in those movies because it was at a time when things were new and shiny and stuff, opposed to the, the, the originals where they were watching rebels fighting and rebels don't yeah. have shiny new things. So it makes sense to for what the aesthetic was in that film well, versus it, those film beyond just time. It goes from production being an art form to just mass produced. Like this, what he was intentionally trying to show, and I don't I, people just didn't get it yeah. for some reason. Even though he was constantly saying that, he's like, look at these classic cars from back then and then you take a look at a car now and it's just not like the basic cars back then had some sort of elegance to them and then it's just a car now yeah. um 
I don't understand why we don't know what lasers do, or how come we can't have more advanced technology than just bullets. <laughs> You're playing Centipede live. This is yeah. In Zion. Yeah, and this is something that um because I um I was uh, when these Matrix movies were coming out, I was reading a lot of Roger Roger Ebert's reviews. I really liked on all three of these movies, which he liked all three of them. He liked Reloaded the most, actually. Yes. Um, and he had this kind of similar complaints where it's like. I don't know why we're just using live action, live, live ammunition, ammunition as opposed to like lasers or something that would seem to seem to exist in these kind of worlds. He had the same thing to say about like Starship Troopers, where it's like, why don't we? Why are we using artillery? Like, why are we? Why aren't there like rockets and more nukes and things? Well, like that's, that's just the world. What the? Well, what they want to? Starship Troopers is supposed to resemble real war. That's what I, the yeah, point. yeah, I know, yeah, and that's why. Well, and, that's why I disagree with a lot of his yeah. points on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, all, all the people in Zion are familiar with the world of 1999, which is where the the Matrix program is set, so they're probably making their tech, uh, using their tech to what they know. I guess, so. but at the same time, it's like it seems like we have a lot of technology going on, and we're just choosing to use machine guns in this world for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't. I never, I never really thought of that. They just show me what the technology is here, and I accept it. Like the machines have lasers. The lasers they have, like that, cut into the. Um... I don't know what to relate to. They have, the, they have those lasers that cut into their ships and everything. They probably been able to take some of the sentinels and maybe adapt them to have their own lasers or something. I don't know. Whatever. I, I don't know how to, you know, provide a defense for a six million person nation, so what, what am I, what, who, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> these drills are really cool. I like these, look at these, I mean, all these drills. How they yeah. get, how they get uh, up and walk after they get shot again, like it's neat. So, you know, it, it it's it's interesting. No, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, if Scott, if hello? you and I wanted to get into why we aren't hello. Yeah, we're all good. I, I was just yeah. saying maybe the time right the time's right now for us to get into what what we don't don't think works about this section of the film while we're. Well, actually, what I was about to say is that it's a shame that dramatically so much of this is relatively uninteresting because. You know, the special effects are phenomenal. They are, yeah. And the production diet is terrific. And we're seeing, you know, arguably, at least at this time, unparalleled big screen mass battle scenes here. And it's something completely I different mean, from the You could argue rest. that the Lord of the Rings were bigger. Yeah, it's something different than anything we've ever seen. It's, no, it's, I've I never mean, it's, seen, you it's, know, it's, giant... It's it's different from the other movies as well. It's not something we've seen yeah. in previous Matrix movies. So I mean, it's adding a, a new dynamic to the whole series. Um, and I think part of the reason is, you know, this core battle scene. None of the core characters are directly involved. That's exactly it. I mean, that's what it comes exactly. down to. Uh, we, exactly. Exactly. All know. the all these these people were developed for a, a brief amount of time early in the second film. And we had like two hours following, following that in the second film. And then now we're like an hour and, uh, <laughs> seven minutes into this. And we're supposed to be following these people. We barely know that, you know, they're defending Morpheus and Trinity and Neo's <clears throat> home, but we haven't spent much time here. And with these people and all, all we know is Z is, with Link, the new character added in the second one's main squeeze. Yeah, I really like how the Sentinels all kind of work as this kind of school of fish that's like banding together to do what they need to do to get into Zion. I like how the visual of that. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, there's we don't have a character. We don't. I mean, we have characters that have been established, but they're not nearly as 
important to us as the rest of the characters in the, or the other the core characters in this universe. And because of that, yeah, you just can't really. All we have here that we really recognize is Locke. And, and Locke's like an it. asshole. So I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have we have empty hollow robots fighting against empty hollow humans, and it's and it, there's no real way for the movie to write that either. Like you can't. I don't know. No. You can't. You can't take Morpheus and put him here all of a sudden. You can't. I mean, they're on their way, and that's a part of the the, the arc of this whole. The, yeah. Story. You, so there's, and I mean, obviously Trinity and Neo are on their own way. There's no, so there's, there's no way to really handle that, I guess. So how does Return do it? Return has Luke going to Empire and Han and Leia are on Endor, like there's, and and you have Lando, I guess, in the Millennium. Well, Falcon. yeah, they have Lando and the Millennium Falcon. Somehow that works. It's the weakest part of the battle in that one, but we we don't just stick with that battle for a long time. We're but, we're cutting back and forth. And Lando's cuts are the shortest. I like, mean, weak as part of the battle. I mean, A-Wing crashes into the Super Star Destroyer. That's my, one of my favorite scenes of the Fran of the trip. Well, I, but I was, <laughs> yeah, if I might slightly disagree, I remember when I saw Return of the Jedi Special Edition in theaters back in 97, you know, obviously they added, you know, more ships or whatever, but I remember during the final battle scene, you know, I was like, wow, this is the first time one of these giant space battles has actually felt scary. Yeah, and it really well, did feel you know, sort of claustrophobic, and you could get picked off at any time by any of these thousands of ships flying around. Uh, I do, I do think it works, and I think I think it works because that's you know, it's it's smaller, lesser known characters having the most important role in the battle. So we're rooting we, for them because we still want them to blow up the Death Star. Yeah, we've also had those similar battles building through the series. That's where, true. Where we, right. where we do follow characters. And, and yeah. Wedge Antilles is someone we've been with, yeah. and and then we have Lando. I mean, they, I mean it's Star Wars it's with kinda, the Falcon, it's which to, is a, it's, it's but we to, can also say the Falcon could count as a character too because we're yeah, so yes. familiar with that ship. Yeah. I mean that's that's the thing though. It's Star Wars. It's such an iconic um, trilogy that has that, and like Return of the Jedi is is probably one of the best examples you can name in terms of kind of third act action climaxes where you have multiple battles going on in different sections of a of a universe and be able to follow all of them and care about each section of them like i mm-hmm. guess return of the king is maybe another one but i mean yeah return of the jedi is kind of the kind of the key well, example i think when it comes and to it that. was arguably the first to do that that true I mean, yeah was, that, yeah yeah it was kind of amazing when he pulled it off back in 83 yeah other other movies um, had well parts like like what was seven samurai i mean there's obviously other movies that have big battles at the end but that's one yeah. that really like kind of expanded into an epic scope from different, yeah. different angles well, what Lucas was doing was like with the first one, you just had the Death Star battle. The second one, you had Leia and Lando escaping Cloud City while Luke battles Vader. And then this one, he and then Return of the Jedi, he upped it to three with Lando with the Death Star, Luke versus Vader and the Emperor, and then the shield generator down on Endor with Han and Leia. Yeah. And then with Phantom Menace, he upped it to four, and yep. then uh, he, he scaled back with clones. Clone Wars because he went because he did a war. He did like that like yeah. a, a full on Jedi war with Geonosis. Yeah. Well, that's the worst one of the franchise. But um, <laughs> pretty much, I disagree. But okay, I mean, I, I like all six of them quite a bit. Yeah, I don't dislike. It's just but, if I have to think yeah. of the weakest, I mean, no one's going to the library in any other movie. But whatever. <laughs> this is I'm a, sorry that abused me. This is a. <laughs> Um, as much as we don't know these people, this is actually pretty sad. I think that, that like these two women are get, they're trying to get out of there, and then this one just gets trapped and she dies. Yeah, and it's unceremonious. I don't know her name. Like probably, probably she probably said it at some point, but it's you know. And do we even we don't even really know Z that well either. Yeah, 
God, she got gutted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's just... We know enough, but not, you know... <laughs> there's not much to attach to. They were doing their job, and, you know, she went out as, you know, fighting a war. And I think the other problem with the sequence is, you know... And again, it's been a while, so maybe if I get a few details wrong, I apologize. But, you know, Morpheus comes in, sets off the EMP. We're all supposed to go, yeah, yeah. And then two seconds later... This guy's like, you idiot, you've doomed us all. What bugs me about so, that I mean, what, the, is that he he's like, he allowed them in just because they were going to use the EMP. He wanted this to happen, and then he immediately yes. chastised yeah. them for that fact, and that's what bugs me about yeah. it. Yeah. Do you guys ever buy into the Niobe and Commander Locke relationship? Like, there is just, for me, it seems there's nothing there. They're, they're, we're, we're, they're only in relation by, because the script tells us they are. I mean, I think before there was a giant war going on, the relationship might have had other things to, to work with. But we're coming into it, you know, after they've been together and after, after things have changed in regards to... The honeymoon phase is over. The honeymoon phase is clearly yeah. over. But I never once feel Niobe's conflicted about anything, with, which, which is something that the movie seems to want to give a sense of uh, and yeah, it's I not there. I mean, it takes a shortcut so we can get to where we need to go. So, yeah, and it's obviously not the most important aspect of this franchise. So that's why you just don't get enough, you know, it, a lot of time to expositional really information that it, it's really pointless in the big scheme of things. I mean, if we had a shadows of the empire matrix story that took place in between the matrix and the matrix reloaded, maybe we'd have, you know, yeah. the Niobe chronicles. And we well, could there, learn there is more a scene. This. There's, there's a scene in enter the matrix. Yeah. That I get it from commander Locke. But I, I still just Niobe, I get nothing. There, and there needs to be some sort of inner conflict with her that we can sort of see on screen and make her character a little less, like, I, I don't know, predictable with that. But there needed to be more from Niobe in that sense. But there, there is stuff in Enter the Matrix from Commander Locke that makes you buy a little bit more into the relationship. And... In Enter the Matrix, is is Ghost like attracted to Trinity? Is that? Uh, Do you remember Aaron? Like, there's there's something with Ghost being attracted to somebody, and I could it seemed more like Trinity than it was Niobe, but because like the the oh, Oracle yeah, tells not, him that yeah. she'll never you know she'll never love you more than a friend, and there, he has a scene where he's like he's laying in a bed with Trinity with something. Like, I, I, no, I think you're right. Actually, that's that's bringing up. I haven't played the game in you know over t- ten years, so it's a uh, ghost in these movies has zero presence. No, he doesn't. And but I mean, he's not supposed to really. I mean, he's just no. Yeah, he's another cast member in this film, but not like one that matters in the scheme of things. Um, but that 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 really reminds me of something. So yeah, I, I think you're right. Actually, I think he was supposed to like he had some kind of feelings for Trinity that weren't, like, being brought back because of the one and everything, obviously, factoring in. But, yeah, between him and Niobe, they're never supposed to be together. They're just kind of, you know, co-pilots. Yeah. Um, platonic. It doesn't help that, like, the kid was, like, really annoying in these movies, especially, uh, uh, especially yeah. compared to, like, the Animatrix, where he, you kind of got who he was more, and this, they really kind of Honestly, they just kind of dropped the ball. On, like, on he, the well, he looked a little too old for how he was acting. Yeah, I think exactly. Was, was so they, it, it's, it's not yeah. like good cat. Like it's not the best casting because either you need to get someone that's trying to be young or get someone that fits the age that they're going to be or write that part a bit differently. But yeah, and this guy, I mean, this battle does hit the dramatic beats that they want it to, but it just it doesn't work because I don't know these people and I I find myself just watching generic 
figures go shooting and oh, yeah because it, it's yeah. hitting the exact scenes of any war movie with this stuff and yeah. because the characters aren't that interesting it just kind of comes off as frankly I silly mean, i mean they're <laughs> not even well, they're archetypes and they're they, they like should the have been just, they should have just played up stereotypes with these people they might have been more enjoyable and memorable if it, i mean well i mean they just, do i think they do play it i mean we're gonna get to this whole scene when the guy dies and he's like i never took the training or whatever like it's well, like, it's so like, i meant as a whole with their like their characters just like just play it up big and oh just really just, go over the top with it okay yeah right. they, may, they might be they might be more memorable i hate to be this job by the way like the guy that has to like <laughs> zap these things while you reload the ammo on the ship oh. like, it's a horrible position to be in I do like I do like the sacrifice that he makes when he tells the kid to get on back to avoid all the the squiddies. Yeah, because it's pretty yeah. hardcore that he's like taking it in the face like, for all these things. <laughs> you know, it sucks. Like the robots, it, you know, their whole plan is to you know continually wipe out Zion. Like, man, you guys cause all this mess, and then you have no problem just cleaning it up because Zion <laughs> is a mess. <laughs> Here it comes. It's pretty hardcore. <laughs> They're just coming right at him. He has nothing else he can do. I, I have a question too. Yeah. Since we're in, in the battle that Scott and I are about, um, the, the one now, according to what it is, he makes the in the previous iterations he makes the decisions, the decision to uh, you know let Zion get wiped out, and then he picks twenty three people to repopulate it. And what happens to him after that? Does he stay in Zion and just keeps the secret, or do they? I believe he just gets reinserted and okay, but they all be plugged in like Cipher was going to be. Like he gets replugged in, and you know, change they change around his memory and whatnot. But he, but he has to like somehow be present in Zion for people to know of him and and talk and like teach people things. Someone has to pull him out. See, yeah, that's just, that's that's where I get I get confused on this back too. And says, "All right, plug me back in." I get confused on this too, so I'm not actually sure. I don't, I really don't know how to answer that. Actually, when you think about it, so yeah, I don't know if he just becomes like an old figure that eventually dies, or if, I don't know. I uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure the Wachowskis do. Like, I buy into the concept. I just want to know a little more. I mean, it's, it, it kind of, I think a lot of it comes down to oral history, but then again, where does that start from? Chicken or egg kind of thing. So yeah, true, true. Scott, you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm just okay. listening. Just making sure. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know the answer to your question, by the way. Uh, partially because I haven't seen The Matrix Reloaded in a while. Um, no, actually, what I'm thinking of is, you know, again, you know, uh, uh, this battle is almost over, and it's only been about 18 minutes since it started. Yeah, it, it really isn't. I mean, it's... So... I may have to reevaluate my thoughts on this film. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's about, a, you know, it's about a reel and a half total. It feels longer because they never cut away from anything else. Yeah, you're stuck you know, there's nothing else to cut to. Yeah, because it's the if it's, if it's not this, it's just Neo and yeah. Trinity flying somewhere. Like, there's there's <laughs> nothing you know, else to cut to. Maybe you should have had a little of that. Um, or Smith just being maniacal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just really no way to rectify that. Like, there's nothing else to you know. So <laughs> there's no way to change it, I guess, unless you put them in the Matrix sooner somehow or so. I don't know. Like. Like Trinity's flying the whole time while Matrix gets inside the Matrix or something. I don't know. I don't know how you. you know. No, I, I don't know if it is a solvable problem. Yeah. But again, it's it's not that long of a battle. It's only about you know probably like twenty five minutes all told. 
Um, like I said, it's not as long as you think it is, but it feels long. Yeah. Like these these moments here should be like big crowd pleasing yes moments, but it just it doesn't the, the intense there it just doesn't work. And that's what you know James Cameron and you know Peter Jackson, and Steven Spielberg, that's what they bring to the table. Is you know in their action beats they have memorable beats that gets the audience cheering. Um, you know whether you know, the movies are overall worthwhile or not the action scenes are more than just action you I, have that crowd pleasing of... beats like like this scene this yeah actually should be an applause moment but it barely works because we barely know this person and i think that honestly just comes with being veteran directors in this kind of field versus yeah. the wachowskis and the wachowskis as good as we i think they are at directing films it's not that their character works bad it's just it's not as it's not as accomplished as someone like Spielberg or someone like yeah. Lucas or someone like Peter Jackson or the Witch House, or the Witch House, uh, James Cameron, where they not just casting, but they know how to make those beats more important, I guess, in the realm of supporting players. Yes. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That 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 is the key difference. Because in a mass action scene, you can't just be on the lead character the whole time. Like, Ergo, you need to have the audience cheering for the supporting players as much as they're cheering for the hero. And show um, everybody working together. Like, for example, you know, in Avatar, the most poignant scene in the final battle is the death of the, you know, the army general guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you take six bullets and then, you know, gets thrown out of the airplane. Um, you know, it's done in slow motion. It's just a wonderful moment. It, it is, and they're like the, you know, the his, the the uh, is James Horner the James Horner yeah. score is really yes. like soaring and obviously it's yeah. being very manipulative, but it works. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, obviously in the, in the Lord of the Rings films, everybody loves Legolas's action beats. Legolas is barely in the movies for all intents and purposes. Yeah, which surprises you know, me that people love him so much. It's like, yeah, what, is, what did but, he do? He surfed out the stairs. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Cameron makes that stuff, I mean, Jackson makes that stuff work. Um, yeah, there's more interplay, too. I mean, yeah. the war stuff, as much as I want to praise these movies for being fun, there's not a lot of time for them to shoot out one-liners in these in this in yeah. the real world. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. No one's wearing cool sunglasses here either. Like it's just people just like just shooting at stuff. God damn it! <laughs> and there's no really humorous character around either to to lighten things up. Everybody's dead serious, and I yeah, know this is the, the battle the one, time. But the one humorous character you have is Link, or and even Roland to an extent, is because of his, his reactions to the things that Niobe's doing with the ship. And they don't have really much of a chance to do that. And, like, Link's so concerned about getting back to his wife that he doesn't have a chance to make one-liners. Because the operators are generally, like, the funny guys in the group, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the first one had the, the geeky guy who made the woman in the red dress. Yeah, Mouse. And mouse, yeah. And he had Cypher because Joe Pants is just naturally Cypher, yeah. funny. Yeah. So, like, being, snarky guy. Yeah, snarky guys. And and again, that movie's about kind of opening up the mystery. So you it's, it's easy to kind of question that in that first movie because you don't know what everything is exactly. And Neo had some fun too because that's, he was yeah, that's oblivious yeah, that's I mean. to everything in that first movie. So I mean, get the second one and every, you know, there, there's a big mission at hand, so everybody's on edge and, you know, right there. But I mean, you get your humor from the Oracle, mm-hmm. um, and some of the fight scenes are played for humor as well. Yeah, could have just asked. Like it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, um, yeah, this one's certainly the most 
not necessarily dour, but the most serious of the three, despite the, you know, it's still fun to watch this movie, especially with, it, you know, the, it, these certain lines that are just humorous because they're humorous, not because they're supposed to be funny, but just because, goddammit, like that kind of, that kind of logic. The cliches that it falls into because that's required of a war type movie. No, it's, you know, the scene we just asked, you know, he did the whole speech of, you know, you basically screwed us over. And so from a, you know, an audience perspective, why were we rooting them for the rooting for them for the last 20 minutes? Yeah. Since all they did was make things worse. And frankly, that's not an illogical conclusion to draw. So why didn't somebody think of that? Why didn't somebody think of, hey, if we blow the EMP, none of our stuff's going to work either. And they're just going to keep coming. Yeah, yeah, which they do. You, uh, no, I, I think part of it is that this giant battle scene, it feels like a distraction. Well, it, I mean, it's delivering on the war that's um, you know, It's not really the main event. It, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you, but you do have to, I mean, it has to, I, obviously, oh. yeah, we're here. Obviously, it's a, it's an issue to an extent, but I mean. Did I have, you? I can still hear you. <laughs> okay, Sorry. <laughs> Obviously, it's a thing that you have that you know is in the way of other things that could be more cool to see, like seeing more stuff in the Matrix. But you got to show a war because that's what's been you know promised in all these movies that there's going to be some kind of major conflict between the humans and the machines that has to like go you know play out. And we've already established what the problems are. There's just no there's no core characters there to make you really care about this war that's going on. So it's it's trying to find that tricky balance, which I, the which I was, I just don't. They don't. They don't quite do it in this movie. Compared, yeah. Compared yeah. to how they accomplish and, things in the other movies. And maybe kind of it. Some of its Zion itself and its look is like, it doesn't look like an awesome place to live. I mean, it's rugged and not very. It's it's very primal, and you know, we'd much prefer where we live now than well, I would at least. <laughs> I, I, so we're not we're not understanding what it is they're fighting to protect somewhat. Did Morpheus just give the whole like with 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 Neo's last breath like that whole speech? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I like that a lot. I think. Yeah, me too. Given that Morpheus doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie, I'm glad that he was able to get like that's a, that's a really good monologue. I think that represents just his ideas and what the, what's the basically the setup for the rest of this movie at this point because we're done. Yeah. We're pretty much done with all the fighting. Mm. This is. Yeah. This is all the end. <laughs> so. Um, and I don't know if there was a way to intermix any of this with the robot fighting to make that more audible, for lack of a better word, but you know, well, that you would have been a solution. You could have uh, point A to point B'd it with, you know, X amount of time needed and yeah. amped up the stakes for Morpheus and, and Trinity to get there on in a certain amount of time as well. Yeah. What do you think happens in this city? Do you think they have like movie theaters and gas stations and things like? No, I'm just robots being robots. <laughs> what does that thing? mean? <laughs> just, robots? Ro- just roboting. <laughs> just roboting around. Just robot. I but I mean, like... look at that. There's skyscrapers. Like, what do they do in that city? Like, what's going on? Is it like Tron? Do they have Everything... battles? Do they have games? Are, and are they skyscrapers though, or are they just like giant? I, I don't know. We'll get there because they, they have like sidewalks, yeah. just little bugs walking around when we get inside. Like, it seems like they're doing something in there.
They're having robot fun. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I like to think it, it's They're just, having their own robot rave. I, I like to think it's just Tron. It's just Tron World. <laughs> they, they, they run into Cypher on the street and they're like, Hey! <laughs> no, they didn't put me back in there. I wanted to... It promised. Lock just laying things out. Like, yep, well, there we are. Elvis Mitchell just like, I got this movie. Harry Lennox, who would go on to be severely underused in 24. <laughs> and star in Dollhouse. Who would be in 24? Yeah, I forget who was in 24. He was um, Wayne Palmer um, when he was president. Yeah. Uh, his sister, who we're introduced to in season six, was his. Oh his, uh, yeah. His he was her boyfriend, and he got unfairly racially profiled and thrown in some sort oh, of. Oh yeah, okay. Mini yeah. concentration camp thing that was. Uh, yeah. I remember that. You know, season six that started strong with the four hours and just went haywire. Is that the one where they they nuke Valencia? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. And that was the last moment of. Like that's where the series just kind of that was the yeah, they, best they, it was ever gonna get. They and, killed they killed Curtis in that scene. Yeah, yeah, that made me sad because <laughs> I liked that, him. Yeah, I I marked that that four hour premiere of of season six is like that was it. That was the furthest it was it was only gonna go downhill. He went from it, being like the torturer to like the guy that cares, and then they killed him. <laughs> I, I Curtis was the guy we cheered for in that show. Him and yeah, I him, him, him and Secret Secret Service agent Aaron. Yes. <laughs> Who we still cheer for. I love Glenn Morshaw. Yeah. Seeing him pop up and things. Yeah. He's in the Transformers right at Universal. It really, I was so happy for that. Yes, he is. Which I'm confused. I'm, I yeah, thought he got killed he off. He after Earth, first too. Movie, but he keeps showing up again. Yes, he was. He, yeah, he does. He has, he has lots of twins. Scott, are you like leaning differently or did you move your mic or something? Because you, you're sounding different, like more soundy. <laughs> Do I sound better? You sound like a 2006 podcast now. Ah, oh, crap. Like, Hold on, how about now? You, like, touch the plug on something on your mic or something? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Let's see. Oh. Everything's plugged in, so... Uh, how do I sound? We can hear you. <laughs> I mean, we can oh, hear okay. you. It's just, you, yeah, it's not... You, as... you sound like you're via telephone, almost. Yeah, it sounds like a telephone line as opposed to a clear internet connection, I guess. Uh. Mm. Unplug something and plug it back in. I guess I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. The, the, let's talk about this Neo stuff because this is actually pretty significant. <laughs> he's, he's blowing up machines outside the Matrix. Um, and the power that that started at the beginning or the end of the last movie. He's he's really realized it here. Do they ever explain why he can do that? Um, it's because of uh, he is, it was his interaction with um, the architect in that room. Oh, okay. He he brought back because. He wasn't supposed to like go back and save Trinity. That wasn't the choice that that the one was supposed to make. And because he he did that, he took some of it with him. That's what I like, gather. I'll buy that. I thought when I first saw him, like I thought maybe the the prophecy was with his powers and stuff was true outside of the Matrix as well as inside. Well, that's kind of what it is. To an extent, I mean it. To an extent, yeah. I mean it because. But he's not doing bullet time and stuff like that. He's yeah, just yeah. One yeah. with. I love this. I love that this happened. Wow. 
Yeah. I, I I love that there is a scene like this, and they, it gives Trinity uh, like a beat to work with as well, because Trinity also doesn't yeah. get too much to do after the whole, you know, going in the Matrix and fighting stuff, just like Morpheus. She's just kind of along for the ride for the most part. But it, it allows her to kind of, in the scheme of things, she gets to see something she's never seen before with the person she loves, and she gets to, you know, be a part of a world that she's fighting for before she exits the world. Yeah, she gets to see something nobody's seen. Yeah, and that brief moment gives her, like, I mean, it's not like she's not motivated from here, but it it gives her a glimpse of what the the overall win's supposed to be. Even though the world's not going to become, like, fresh again, it gives her, like, that brief instance of not everything's this. This is what you're fighting for. Yes, exactly. I, I I, I really like that that happens. Especially because she just gets brutally impaled right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which, it works for the film, and I understand it, but on the other hand, I've always been like, well, why go through all the trouble of saving her in the second film? We're just going to kill her off here. Because it's proving the architect correct. Because he yeah. said no matter what, she's going to die. You can do Fair whatever. And, and as heroic and miraculous as it was in the second film, the fate still stays the same. And it, it adds the question to, you know, whether you know Neo can actually change things and... Or if it's just going to play just like the architect said. This is why I should have watched the second one before I did this. <laughs> um, oh, I, I agree too. I had, I had beefs yeah. with these these movies uh, before when in my, on my first viewings and even some yeah. of my second viewings. But I mean, the more you watch them, the more you you get what they're going for. It's it's all there. It's just people need to give it a chance. They need to revisit it and and find the actual meaning there. And it's not misplaced stuff. It's 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 there. It's it's on the page. Yeah, a lot of people dislike this scene. Uh, uh, I have nothing against it. It's a little long, but you're that's, saying goodbye to one of the major characters. So. It is, yeah, that's a lot. That's what people think, and um, I don't dislike it at all. I mean, yeah, we're, if we're gonna if I'm gonna say give a send off to you know the the lead the other lead character of this movie, who's the love interest of the lead character, who has been very significant, who's done a lot of ass kicking things throughout the movie. I want to see a solid death scene for her. Yeah, and people complain that like she's talking too much, even though she's impaled and all this. And it's like this I don't. Is, this is the first character we ever saw in the series. Yeah. And yeah. We, you know, so come on. Yeah. And the series is also willing to go here. How many series do you see where they kill off a lead character? Everyone generally lives in these movies. Han Solo lives. Like, everyone yeah. lives yeah. in these movies. Captain Jack Sparrow keeps living. Jack Sparrow lives. He gets eaten by a kraken and he lives. Like, it's like... like Will kind of sort of lives. <laughs> and the Fellowship does pretty good. Only Sean Bean dies. Yeah. Like, everyone lives yeah. in that movie. <laughs> What was what were they, they supposed to? Was she supposed to park and just sit and wait? And I'll yeah, be honestly, yeah, like, like, yeah. like, like she she has. I mean, she has to. And I, it's motivation in the second one. But you know, he learned so much, and it, it's it's what sends him off. It has to be Trinity. Trinity has to die. Like this is what yeah. allows Neo to <laughs> to win. If if Trinity doesn't die, there's does he defeat Smith? Because He's still thinking that he has Trinity to go back to. Now he has nothing to go back to, so he can give exactly. it everything. And, and the self-sacrifice is what leads him to winning because he has nothing to go back to. He has nothing to lose. Um, and that's what I love about the the final fight scene is you know it's this big, dynamic you know gigantic showdown between Smith and Neo, and and it's just so sad. You know, it's not particularly fun. It's not entertaining. It's not. I mean, it is entertaining, but it's not crowd-pleasing. It's fatalistic. And yeah. I love that. 
Um, and again, I think overall that's probably what turned some people off of the film, is that it's not the triumphant triumph of good over evil that people probably wanted from a film like this. You know, it's, well, it's, the, res- it's, it's the resigned acceptance of, you know, faith, sacrifice, whatever. Well, no, it's the final fights against two dudes who essentially had the same cause, and they both wanted to cause the end of the Matrix. Yes. Through through different means. Um, no, it, it's just so bit, bittersweet, and I, I love it for that. Um, hey, Aaron, you're you're more with it on video games than I am, but I, I, I remember, wasn't there a... a Mortal Kombat character that kind of looked like Neo from this yeah, movie. Yeah, there is. Uh, his name is. Oh God, that's gonna bug me. Um, it's because uh, he's in the new. Um, he's in the on the YouTube series too that just happened. Um, it's like yeah. you're not like when he, he popped up. Like, yeah, you're not fooling anybody with that. Yeah, he he yeah he is. Um, he's blind. He has kind of telekinesis powers. Let me think of the name. I'm pretty sure it starts with a K. But he's got the band there, wrapped There's around someone his eyes. like listening to this, like, what? Kenji. Kenji is the name. Someone's Kenji. like listening to this, okay. like, Kenji! Like, they're screaming it at their, at their iPod right now. <laughs> yeah, it's Kenji. Yeah. Yeah, he looks exactly like Keanu Reeves in this movie. This, see, this is the kind of. I like this a lot. I like oh, yeah. drill functions where it's this, it's this dooms device, doomsday device. <laughs> just like it falls and gets up and drills. Then it falls down, it gets yeah. up and it drills again. Like that's the function of this this machine. So, so when this is all over, do the robots help clean up Zion for the humans and rebuild? Don't a even bit? get. Don't even get me started on what the hell is supposed to go on at the end of this movie in terms of. Well, I guess it's over now. Like, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't understand. We'll get. Well, actually, I have a. I have a. Because I, I have a. I have a theory I like about the end of this movie that I'll get to when we get there. But uh, we'll get there. The Matrix rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. I'd watch that. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the Machine City. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like what happens here on like a regular day when there's not a war going on? Shuffleboard. Shuffleboard. Shuffle. Jenga. <laughs> Weed tennis. I like this stuff. I like all. I like Neo Vision in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, an added dimension. I mean, there's so much wonderful imagery here that's just taken for granted. Yeah. Like, so here you go. Like, like, what are these things? <laughs> They're not helping in anything, so they must be, they must do something in this city. Look at all these, look at all those buildings in the background. There's, there's something's going on there, right? Little castles. Little castles. <laughs> They just hang out and, like, have fancy brunches, little robot monocles. My friends and I used to find this part, this character coming up pretty humorous, because there was an episode of South Park with uh, Jesus and the Super Friends. Yep, yeah. And they had Moses the Supercomputer, which resembled this. Well, it was was Tron. It was, was, sorry, it was Master Control in the first Tron movie, as it was supposed to be, yeah. But yeah, Yeah, I we would in that episode had like just come out like maybe a year before this or something, and we would go, we go Matrix. What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is just weird. Like, yeah, the anime has fully taken over. Yeah, this is definitely like <laughs> it's hard. anime lovers eat this up. Like, this is for oh, sure is complete in that realm right now. It's like full circle right here. 
And again, I love, just like I love it with the, in the battle sequence, like I love seeing the machines kind of working together to become something greater. And I like seeing that it, like this is how it functions. It turns into this kind of, a, like a baby face. <laughs> it's almost like those little pins where you like put your hand in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like um, Neo's attitude in this scene. It's kind of, it's like a bluff, essentially, but he knows mm-hmm. he's right, and it's this kind of confidence that he has to bring out in order to do what he needs to do. He's speaking to the Matrix's inner child. <laughs> Scott, did you, are you familiar with the Animatrix? I saw it when it first was released 10 years ago. I remember a few bits and pieces about it, but I would not to speak about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, a, I'm a huge fan of that series as well. And, it, and the one thing I think is weird, while, well, not weird, but um, excellent about it, is while it has so many different animation styles and, like, widely different stories, the, the spirit and essence of the Matrix, these films, is present in every one of them. It's the kind of thing I wish I could see more of, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. More franchises do that kind of thing. <laughs> Especially with like all the you know superheroes we're seeing, it's like it seems like it'd be very easy to get these other ones also going and not just see more. And Scott, you've mentioned this a lot. Like, why are we just getting nonstop Batman or Superman like cartoons from Warner Brothers? Why can't we go into the other characters in the DC universe, which we have kind of? We got a Wonder Woman one and a Green Lantern one, and but like, why don't we get more? Like, we have the means. It's not like it costs a ton of money, and it's not like it needs to make a ton of money to continue on. So, well, I can't. Someone, yeah, there's somebody much. recently suggested they do like an anthology film if they're so worried about money going into superhero projects and stuff like that, with like short story form. I think uh, it was McQueen. Superheroes. Was it McQueen? Okay, yeah, I think which so. is an incredibly interesting a good idea. idea. Well, that's why I like I really like the the uh, the Netflix idea the or the concept with the Marvel Netflix movies or TV series that are going to happen. That seems from a business standpoint, it seems like everybody won in that situation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, in terms of getting other characters off the ground and like relaunching Daredevil, like yes, I, I'm very, I'm a big fan of that. I, I want to see this happen. And let's let's hope we're closer to that um, Punisher series on FX. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they balance the interconnected universe versus people that aren't necessarily going to see every part of this interconnected universe. And actually, it'll be, you know, I, I and I'll probably write about this later, you know, whatever, if I have time, but the first people to really do this is basically DreamWorks. Because they've got How to Dread Your Dragon 2 coming out in the summer, but they've had a two, you know, they've had an animated series running for two years based on How to Dread Your Dragon. Yeah. And to what extent do those are those interconnected? Um, I do not know. No, I, I've never watched it. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. But here Man. we have, here we have the uh, the best Superman versus Zod fight yep. <laughs> on film. And sorry, Man of Steel, but this one, this is terrific. Well, well this is the one that avoids, you know, Superman throwing Zod or uh, Neo throwing Mister uh, Mister Smith into a uh, into I a hop. get an IHOP, a Sears, Sears, you know, an orphanage. <laughs> Returning leading up a local hospital. Uh, I like that Smith's fighting is all just because he's like arrogant, right? Yes. Like, yeah. it, because I mean, he could, easily, he could easily do. You could easily just have all of his Smiths tackle Neo at once. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even though in terms of scope, in terms of how they shoot it, and like the powers used, and the way they fly, like it's amazing. It's Superman, Zod, and just incredible. Like and. Uh, yeah, Don Davis's score is knocking it out of the park in all three yes. of these movies, by the way. And 
This this one I I don't. It was another thing where came comes more of just my age at the time, but I was judging it harshly because we're not in the Matrix, so we're not getting as much kind of industrial rock and techno this time around. We're getting yeah. a lot of score, but thinking of it now, it just it's so good the music of this movie, just the way mm-hmm. it, yeah. it really amplifies what's going on and in, in in terms of character and emotion. Yeah, but like when we get out, yeah, when we get out here in the sky, awesome. This yeah. is what this is what you want in a Superman movie. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a shot coming up with uh, Mr. Smith, you know, it, it cuts on him, and it's, I think they even use it in the poster. It's him just sort of doing a supervillain pose, and, you know, behind a bolt of lightning. It's just such an iconic yeah. comic book image that you don't see in comic book movies, which which I, do, I don't get. I like this right here. Yeah. That this is the, 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 the close to the first trailer. Um, that was the uh, button shot in the trailer to this film that played after the Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, yeah, the teaser, yep. te- the teaser, teaser. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. Just the music's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that we knocked out the uh, sunglasses from Neo so we can have a little bit more perspective on this fight just in terms of seeing a main character's eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, seeing his eyes because we've been... Watching him with a rap. Yeah, especially because he's been blind the whole time. Yeah, seeing his eyes, especially. <laughs> I can't imagine how like difficult filming this must have been, in terms, especially when they're out in the water and the wire work to like simulate them flying while also doing choreographed moves together. Yeah, it sets up. God, Keanu is such like a. I I imagine he's probably like one of the just coolest guys in terms of of people that, not necessarily to hang out with, but just in terms of like acknowledging things that he's done in his career based off the success he's had. Because you remember, like, he, like, donated a lot of the money he got for these movies because he was making a lot from it. Like, back to the stunt people and back to a lot of the yeah. people. Like, yeah, he, he gave pretty much all of his $30 million to the tech people. Yeah, because, like, at that point he was making probably, I assume, back end on the movie along with whatever his fee that, too, yeah. Yeah, so it's... And he clearly seems like a guy who just doesn't revel in that having that kind of cash. And so it's, like, good for Wait, him. Like, does he still live out of a hotel? <laughs> but I know I mean, there was a point where he basically had no permanent residence. Yeah, that's one of the things. He's what he's um, a he's a movie he's a movie star that doesn't have a mansion anywhere. He kind yeah. of lives a nor I imagine he has like an apartment or something, <laughs> a, a nice condo. I'd imagine. Yeah. Like I don't think he's he's certainly not homeless. But like, no, no, that's, that's, but uh, uh, no, he's he's. Uh, I think there's some shot coming up here that I just love. Yeah, it's just uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm wrong. I don't know. It might be. No, it's it's Maybe. coming up. I mean, this is just so iconic. Superhero versus supervillain battling in the night sky in a blinding rainstorm. Yeah. The only this thing is, missing, the only thing missing is a death plunge. This which is you one of the, can't do. This is one of the best pieces yeah. of kind of water in an action sequence too. A lot of people, you yeah. know, especially especially like a CG driven action sequence. A lot of people come. Mm-hmm. They make note of the fact that they use rain sequences because you know it, it darkens the screen, so you don't have to focus too much on the details involved. This one really makes good use of the fact that there is rain involved in this scene. Yeah, it's just them flying around and using the weightlessness and yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, is that it, Scott? And it, no, no, I'll point nope. it out when we see it. But it, okay. it all looks so effortless too. I mean, there's so many big superhero fight scenes, even something like Man of Steel, where it feels like they're just, you know, they're doing the bare minimum they can do because it's so expensive. You know, the, oh, like yeah. the fight scene in, in uh, Smallville, for example, where they have a, a punch here, a kick here, and you know, whatever, because it's really expensive. This, it just feels like they don't care. 
I mean, that was my biggest problem with the first Spider-Man movie and something that I liked about Spider-Man 2, where it seems like yeah. fights really mattered in those movies. They feel like yes. fights to the death. And obviously that, that right that, there. There it is. Yeah, that's that, awesome. Yeah. That awesome. And like, obviously it comes with having a budget and, and having confidence in yourself as an action director or whoever you have involved to help you direct those sequences. But I mean, it really does pay off. And that's something that's paid off in all of these Matrix movies, actually. The Wachowskis always had that confidence in showing how these action scenes play out, regardless of the environments that they're in. Yeah. Maybe and even like the I mean, the 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 war stuff in Zion like it comes down to character why it's not as effective but in terms of filmmaking it's just really it's rather fantastic. But yeah, this fight was amazing. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, and plus we're finally back in the Matrix. So, I mean, I mean they, 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 again. they they started this movie yeah. This movie starts and finishes great so. You know, we watched it again probably the first time in, you know, six or seven years. I like it a lot more because the stuff that used to annoy me doesn't take up as much of the screen time as I thought. You know, the whole, all the, the robot fighting stuff, eh, 25 minutes maybe, 30 minutes if you got the, you know, the political bickering before and after. And you're certainly getting, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Like, if you came yeah. to see an action movie, like, and this is another thing that bugs me, it's like, if you came to see an action movie, you're getting the damn action movie. <laughs> like, yeah. And well choreographed action. Oh, well, yeah, that, like, yeah. Like, how many, <laughs> how many action movies have you seen where they are just rather boring, the stories are terrible, you don't care about the characters at all, and you get, like, action scenes that are all right. I can name a lot of movies like that. If you don't care about the story at all, that's fine, but you can't say you didn't get a hell of an action movie out of all this. <laughs> like, you, there's so much action in this movie. And Reloaded. Like, yeah. Um, and even so, at the end of the at the end of the day, this film's climax is a conversation, a very bitter conversation. It's, uh, the, it's the same thing I argue for the pirates movies too, because I all, I'm a huge yeah. fan of that first trilogy as well. And Dead, yeah. I, I really love Dead Man's Chest for that matter. But I mean, the, it's you get there's so much imagination on display that it's like sad to me that they get begrudged because for some reason they decided these are the movies that have to be nitpicked. Yes, for reasons that are baffling. <laughs> I, I like the Pirates movie. I've not revisited them in a, a long time. Those first three I saw them. Fun. I rewatched all of them a few years ago. I watched Dead Man's Chest um, this past after I saw Lone Ranger. I watched just Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> like I didn't watch any other ones. I just watched Dead Man's Chest. Cause I, I own the I own the first three. So my yeah, <laughs> just, no, I have that. Box. We don't speak of the fourth one. Yeah, that's a movie. It didn't happen. Here we go. <laughs> I love this. It looks so cheesy, but I love it's this. Fake, but who cares? It look, yeah, it's so like, but just hitting raindrops and just smashing into his face <laughs> is awesome to me. The indentation on his face after the fight—it's just so cool. And you, you think he's gonna win too? Like you kind of think, yeah, like yeah. maybe he can do this. Maybe he can pull it off. Like you don't really expect it to go where it goes necessarily. And again, I love that. I love that line that he has. Like, why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Because I choose to. Like, it's such a it's such a cool representation of what the one kind of stands yeah. for, what the the human spirit is in the scheme of things. I did. I love the line that's coming up, where basically, you know, he says, you know, you're right, Smith. You were always right. It's just it's just a sad, you know. Again, it's just a sad admission of, you know, success through failure. Yeah, and you can see it in Reeves's face as well. Like yeah. you can see, you can see like yeah. there's acting going on in this yeah. movie. Like it's well, not just like dumb action. There, you can see these things matter. The thing that, that strengthens it up is is Reeves doesn't overplay it. Where oh, yeah, sure. so no. uh, maybe any other performer would 
would overplay these lines and it, well, there's that, a natural natural quality to to how he has Neo and just did basic posturing as well. Like, yeah, it, he's very much he looks downtrodden. He looks like he's yeah. It looks like he's on the verge of being defeated, but hasn't quite thrown in the towel yet. But he does for these movies where you you can't imagine anyone else being Neo, and that's a detriment to him. Where a lot of people will attack him for being a poor performer. Most of his movies you can't imagine where he's you know quite good, and you can't imagine anyone else. Well, he's, a, he's an under-actor. He gets bagged on for the same reason as Kevin Costner and, and Harrison Ford to a certain extent because they are never bigger than the character. Um, you know, unfortunately, and this isn't a bag on Daniel Day-Lewis at all, he is, in fact, a great actor, but there are, you know, when you think of somewhat stereotypical acting with a capital A, you think of stuff like There Will Be Blood or Lincoln or what have you. But that's only one kind of acting. Yes. The other kind yeah. is this, where you know well, this, the, the, is a, this is your typical like lead. What a lead male was. Now we've gone to where we want our character actors thrust into the lead roles, doing character actor yeah. things. Well, that's why every now and then you get someone like like Christian Bale, for example, who can do yeah. both. It seems. Yeah. Um. But I mean, Keanu has improved. I mean, you go back and watch Point Break. Oh yeah, he's certainly improved. Not, not very good at all. Yeah, no, but, yeah. I mean, you, he is. Totally and, that's what, and that's one of the only times he ever overacts. Yeah. And I yeah. think I would argue about a good, you know, 60, 70% of the people that bag on Keanu Reeves are thinking of him only from Point Break. Because if you see most of his other stuff, he's fine. Well, that, and then you have, of course, you know, Bill and Ted stuff. I mean, like, yeah, you just have well, that's very good. Well, how else was he to play that? Yeah. That is true. I, that, is one, that is one generally bad performance. Yeah, it's yeah. He is. I mean, and he was. He started knowing. There was a role that I think was a, a stretch for him, but he knocked it out of the park. Was in the gift. Yeah. Yeah. He, no, I agree. Yeah, with that, like yeah. that seems like really off for him, and well, that, something like, that he uh, may not have been able to pull off. But the, he was uh, tremendous. The, it's one of his best. The Watcher was like around that same time too. Where he's, yeah. yeah. It, I like that movie. Nobody else I, does. But I didn't think he was very good in that one. I he didn't think he was very good in it either. But I still enjoy the film. Um. And this is, of course, the sacrificial whatever. Yep. Jesus um, scene. Yeah, pretty much the Jesus scene, which that's comes, okay. The cross comes on his chest and everything. Um, but again, you know, if I make it back to something that I, I brought up earlier, what I love about these films is that, you know, they end in a truce. They end with the hero basically sacrificing himself to save everybody else, but not through strength of arms or, you know, getting lucky and firing the right shot through the, you know, the torpedo hole or whatever, you know, he, you know, it, 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 it's, it is not a complete overwhelming and therapeutic victory. It is a, arguably perhaps a temporary piece. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, that, that's, you know, it literally ends on that question. Like how long do you yeah. think this truce can last? Like, yeah. yeah. And again, you know, coming right on the heels of the Iraq invasion, and, you know, the, the, frankly, the insanity of that, that that was, you know, it was something very almost therapeutic um, that separates these films from most conventional action pictures. Um, anyway. Okay, so I, I don't get the symbol of the Oracle lying there in the mud. Was that just happened to be the one that he had taken over? It was just confirming for dumb people that that, that one was 
Oh, okay. The Smith was the Oracle. I thought that was some kind of symbolic thing that I missed. I mean, there's probably you could probably read into it. There's probably there's probably some online articles that go into that more. But yeah, I think it's more of just like a it's visual storytelling made very simple. You know, the, uh, the Smiths, no, I, I read the, too much into the it. Smiths yeah. blowing hey, up hey. Uh, reminded me a lot of the uh, the Narrows portion of Batman Begins oh. with the fear gas. No, and you know, after this is over, you know, they still have the quote unquote threat machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the, the kid's the one that announces this. And then Link's the one to respond. <laughs> they like kind of they're like all kind of like uh, two steps behind like huh the war is what you, you know, know you know they should have called back they should have had him been like well you know what maybe now i can get that puss hey <laughs> when the kid announces there's more abuse in all this he's just kind of nodding yeah he's dancing with the ewoks yeah <laughs> <laughs> there we go there he is. <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> I do think, because as much as Lawrence Fisher doesn't have much to do in this film, I I do think he's still doing strong work. And but Reloaded, it's such a downer because you see, and because you just see him like his whole world gets rocked based on the news he learns. So it's nice oh, yeah. to see that he he does get a satisfaction that comes from seeing the war actually end because of his belief, which was true all along. It turned out to an extent. Yeah, they're all wondering about Neo, but how about Trinity, guys? Oh, she didn't hug me before I left, so I don't care. <laughs> so here's where I'm at with this ending. Um, because you get this truce thing. What I'd like to think, and I, it, I mean, it, I think it actually adds up, too, even if that's not the intention. The end of the first Matrix, you see, you know, the Matrix is going and it just stops. And then you hear Neo on the phone talking about how things are going to change. I'd like to think that that takes place after this and that people can still exist in the Matrix, I guess, but they have the option to leave. And it seems like the end of the first film really fits that theory. But he's he's making a threat to them, though. It's, it's it, very threatening. I think you could take it either way, but because <laughs> I, I, I just watched it again. It just it, Every time I listen to it, it, kind, it, it can go a number of different ways. Obviously, it's not the original intent of that film just because they didn't know they were making sequels at the time, but I think, it, I think it stands to reason that that's a feasible way to take it. Okay, one one question about another question about the first one in uh-huh. relation to the, the sequels. There's that scene where he's in the interrogation room, and it, the the establishing shot is of a monitor, and it, it zooms in to become the actual room. Is that supposed to be a hint towards the architect? I think it's more. The monitor looks exactly like the architect. I think it does, but I think it just fits the theme of the film overall, where it's always this. There's a pro, there's a program controlling everything that's happening. Yeah, and I think it just it just it fits that for sure, and it I think. It's a retconned idea where I would, I would imagine the Wachowskis say it is at this point, but at the time, I don't necessarily think they're yeah. trying to hint at it, but it just... Re- That's what I would think, too, but yeah. yeah, okay. Something I like about the architect that I didn't appreciate the first time I saw Reloaded um, is the fact that he's emotionless, and yeah. I think that can be confusing to an audience, which is why... Yeah. His Neo's choices might not seem as significant as they do when you really consider them, because the architect has no emotion about what he actually chose to do. But the way it plays after you know knowing everything, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that Seraph lives too, because Seraph's pretty cool. <laughs> it's so sad when he and, he and the little girl are just like trapped in a corner, and all these Smiths come in. I'm, I'm glad that like all three of them are like making it out the end. 
I don't know what this girl does, but she seems cute enough, and she made a rainbow. So there you go. <laughs> I like that this this whole series ends with, frankly, peripheral characters. Yes. Yeah. That's a somewhat you know, ballsy choice for lack of a better word. But it was, I mean, essentially you start with what they began with the the mother yeah. and father of the the Matrix. Yeah. Huh. I'd imagine, I wonder what kind of impact it would have had if you actually had Gloria Foster. Um, you know, still alive to have filmed these last scenes, but uh, you know, I think, they, I think they still work as well as intended. Yeah, they, they work fine because they never had a scene together early on. They, they and they don't really talk much about each other. They do, they do touch on them, but I think because we hadn't seen them face to face before, it's still just as effective for sure. Yeah. And no Rage Against the Machine song. Yeah, that pissed me off. Right back Father <laughs> There's no Rage song. No Rage song? This movie gets an F. <laughs> Cinema score, down. There's, yeah. I only have two ways to like. There's love and hate. Nothing in between. <laughs> you do one thing wrong, F. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. That's Revolutions. I think I enjoyed that more than I have in a while. I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but I mean, I, I, I appreciate that more than this time around than probably any time I've seen it. And I, I've seen it several times over the years. Um, I generally watch all, the, when I watch The Matrix, I generally watch all three of them. It's, it's yeah. one of the series I do that for, that and like Star Wars. I, like, I, can, yeah. I can watch. I, yeah, I, it, it, it's, generally speaking, it would be weird to watch just one of these. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe you watch the first one. But. Yeah, I mean, that, that hold, that's easy to hold up, but like, I, I like these movies enough where I'm like, I want to watch all three of them if I watch one of them. Yeah, it's, 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 man, it's a very underrated trilogy and franchise. It is. I mean, we, we don't talk about it much anymore, do we? No, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It was supposed to be the we next should. Star Wars. Yeah, and, oh. and it really, it had everything you were looking for. I mean, the second one, you know, it upped the ante, had a, a, a incredible twist when you yeah. think about it. But Some of the it, most it, terrific action sequences of the past decade. Oh, yeah, the yeah. past twenty years, the past thirty years, like oh yeah, and oh. and it ends satisfyingly. I don't know if like one day we might do a reloaded commentary or not, but that that freeway chase is amazing. It's, oh yeah, and it, 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 and it doesn't involve Neo in any capacity until until yeah. the end, and that's that helps it even more because you're just following Trinity and Morpheus as they're doing this all these amazing stuff on a freeway. Oh, and right before in that in that room when they're when Neo's having the battle with in everybody, that it's, it's also, so artful, yeah. like artfully done. It's incredible. And what I like about the freeway chase is just by default, it's one of the only really suspenseful action scenes in the film because Morpheus could die. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously just... Trinity can't because we saw at the beginning what you know the flashback sequence or whatever you want to call that, and Neo can't die because he's Neo. But in that moment, Morpheus could die. Um, we could argue maybe he should have, but that's another story. When you have two um, wild cards coming after him in the ghost, we don't know what how the heck you get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and that was an unfortunate case where the audience were made to expect more from those characters because they got posters. Yeah, <laughs> the Darth Mauls. Yes, Darth Maul, absolutely. I have, I have, a po- I have, a, I have the poster of the twins, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's the poster I wanted. They're cool because we don't have a lot of them. That's what people don't realize. Yeah. This, um, this means very little, but I like that in the credits, the cast is listed listed alphabetically. That just that that pleased me for some reason. It's like, yeah. Oh, no egos. Yeah. It just see, like, it just, I think it. If anything, it speaks to my regard for this movie. It just feels like this is a very collaborative experience, and it goes again back to like Keanu Reeves giving money back to all the other cat people as well. Like it just, 
it feels like everyone to make these movies and there's a lot of people involved in this movie as well as every movie that gets made but it just it it feels like regardless of the regard that these movies have they seem like they all came together the way that people wanted them to come together that were that were involved in making it yeah and you know what what's great too is these are very effects and stunt heavy movies and like a lot of screen stuff and you don't hear the cast or anybody involved complaining about it and like all oh, the hard work and stuff but like with something like the Star Wars trilogy you hear them constantly complaining about blue screen work yeah and things like that it's like everybody was on board it's what i have to do and you know they were you know excited about making groundbreaking stuff whereas Star Wars it seemed like they were getting pissed about it the more movies they made which, well, which we must note that this 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 series started as upstaging Star Wars in 1999. Yeah, like this was this extent. movie was supposed to come and go. Star Wars was going to be the one that changed the game. It had the the effects that were going to make your jaw drop, and was going to be you know mind blowing sci fi. And then here comes the Matrix, and just wow. Which Star one? Wars which nothing? One, which won four Academy Awards? One <laughs> four Academy. Yeah, okay. I remember that Academy Awards was like wow. I was, I was feeling awesome. About it. it was like, you got what? Editing, visual effects, sound and sound design? or sound Those editing? were all supposed to be Star Wars. And yeah. the Matrix, you know, the Matrix was the amazing theater-going experience of 1999. And I, and I think, frankly, you know, come what may, if we had had the 10-picture nominee thing back then, I think by default it would have gotten the Best Picture nomination. Yeah. 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 Well, because uh, 99 is like, for me, that's a defining year of my oh, life. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> a lot of my favorite movies are from 1999, so it's... Like Three Kings, The Matrix, uh, Fight, 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 Fight Club. What'd you Sleepy say? Hollow. Sleep, I said, Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Stuart it's Little. a movie I've come to appreciate way more over time. But uh, Stuart Little. Uh-huh. The Sixth uh-huh. Sense. I mean, the, 99's an amazing oh, yeah. film. It really is. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think it is a shame that this series, this franchise, has become basically a trivia, you know, a, a footnote. Especially, yeah, given all that went into it, not just this, but yeah. you, have video, you have three different video games. I believe there's Enter the Matrix, the Ma- like that other Matrix game, and then Matrix Online. There's yeah. the Animatrix. Mm-hmm. There's, I'd imagine, there was tons of fan There was a massive hype for Reloaded. There was a massive hype. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. It, I mean, it, 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 one of the biggest openings of all time. Yeah, like, time. it certainly yeah. made its money. I mean, <laughs> Reloaded did, anyway. Uh, well, no, the, 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 I mean, if you want the numbers, the, the second one did, I think, $798 million worldwide. Still the biggest R-rated film of all time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the fourth, the third one, yeah, disappointed. It's still did, you know, four twenty-five, um, you know, worldwide. Which, you know, if you know, the back, you know, back then, one hundred fifty was a lot of money. So the film cost one hundred fifty to make. It still made three times budget back. I'm, I'm surprised there's not more comics, honestly, about this world. That seems like something that would be very yeah. easy to do. It just kind of came and went. Yeah, like it was done and it was done. And I think, I think the backlash was so severe, and by the time this, this series ended. A, there was a sense of dissatisfaction. B, everybody was talking about Lord of the Rings, understandably. And C, you know, sort of Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, sort of stole a thunder as the next great franchise. Because that came out, you know, about two months after Matrix Reloaded. And that was the word-of-mouth sensation of summer 2003. Yeah, that's true. That same kind of thing happened when, like, Iron Man came out versus Indiana Jones, where you have yeah. where you have a movie that can be accepted by all audiences because you have... A, you have you have Johnny Depp and you have Robert Downey Jr. who are people that appeal to a larger, I guess, audience brand than just what is ideally going for and to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, it's fresh. This, this stuff is fresh and new. And that too, yeah. Here's a sequel. Yeah. Like, um, but no, I mean, the, 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 the anticipation for the second one was huge. It did 
you know, $91 million over its three-day weekend. It opened on a Thursday. So it did $134 million over its first four days, which I believe was a record at the time. Not not a record for the Friday to Sunday, because that still was Spider... Yeah, Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, it was, it was huge. Um, it was the kind of numbers, comparatively speaking, that most people thought the Star Wars prequels would rock up. That they really didn't until the third one. Did the, the first one make? What, what did the first one do? First the one. first one made 105 million over five days, which was a record five-day haul. But the op- opening weekend was "quote unquote" only 64 million dollars, which was second. Now there's a hundred reasons for that, and it did a gajillion dollars over its second weekend as well. But there was, you know, a sense of error, not disappointment, that didn't just shatter every box office record in existence. Um. But the, you know, the third one came along and you know broke up a jillion records anyway. You, um, I have a, I have a question here. Yeah, Do you think this series, its detriment and backlash for the entire series, came off of one scene? Wait, wait, wait. One scene. The no, the architect. People could have got over the rave, but do you think the architect scene is responsible for all the negative connotation for the film? Because I think everybody's like enjoying and loving Reloaded up until that moment, and then they're confused and don't know what's going on. And do you think that's part, part of it? I don't. It General, because... think of general audiences. Think you know. Well, because dumb, I remember what I, what I read back in 2003 when the film was playing, and most of the people were complaining about yeah, they're complaining about the architect, they complaining about the rape, and they were you know this is absurd. They're complaining about oh too much action, too much CGI. I think it was just a bunch of people that didn't realize why they liked the Matrix in the first place. Okay. Then we got, when they got more of what they claimed they wanted but really didn't, freaked out. You know, they claimed to love all the philosophy and crap and all the special effects, but in actuality, they just liked the action and the Joseph Campbellian mythology involved. So when they get a sequel with lots of special effects and lots of philosophy, they freaked. Okay. Yeah, and That's like uh, Aaron and I were, Aaron and I were talking. Like last week was it when we were talking about how like if you, you know, read the read the words on paper it's amazing. Uh, if I mean there's a lot of good material and dialogue in Reloaded that yes and it it were it's really strong when read when read as opposed to hearing it too. Yeah, I can't. I agree with Scott. I can't. I, I can't think that. I mean, I think the architect serves more as kind of a. A, a general way for people to sum up why they don't like something, but I do think it just it applies more to what Scott just said. The same with like Jar Jar Binks, where I think the people want to lay a lot of blame on just that thing as opposed to acknowledging all the things that they claim yeah. to think is wrong with something. Um, it's yeah. escape. It's, it's a scapegoat. That's the word I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah. Okay. It's like you know, people that complain that you know Superman Returns doesn't have enough action, or that you know Batman and Robin has too much gay humor, as if those are the biggest problems with those specific movies. But it's it's an easy you know, snarky, you know, one-sentence explanation to why they hate the film that really, you know, actually makes no sense. Um, you know, Man of Steel has almost, you know, the second half is not a top action. That film still has a whole crap load of problems on its own. Um, but no, I do think there's a tendency to, for a meme to develop around certain movies as to why they were quote-unquote unsatisfying and yeah, I think you might you might be right. You know, ten years down the line, when people say, "Why don't they like Matrix Reloaded?" Oh, it's because it was too confusing. That you know, architect stuff was weird. But I think back in two thousand three, it was a multitude of different things. 
Okay. With with that, we should wrap up because uh, <laughs> the movie's been over for several minutes now. <laughs> um, I'm on the menu. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- thank you for everybody that's been listening to our our base. What was ideally a commentary from Matrix Revolution that turned into more of a oh, a free form discussion about the Matrix in general, which I was happy to do. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I figured we'd get there anyway because our conversations tend to lead the wild tangents when we do these commentaries anyway. But um, yeah, that's gonna do it for this week's. Bonus episode about now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS4. Brandon? Uh, twitter.com slash btpeters. Um, I have my blog, Naptown Nerd, which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com. And I also write and do reviews for whysoblue.com. And also listen to the Ichapod Cranecast, which follows the exploits of Sleepy Hollow each week. It's me, Aaron, and Maxwell Haddad. And it's amazing. So listen. Scott? Uh, Forbes. Forbes. <laughs> uh, Google Scott Mendelson and Forbes. All right. And uh, the other episodes about now, if Aaron Abe, the other episodes about now, if Aaron and Abe can, of course, be found on iTunes, also at hhwlb.com. That's a podcast network that hosts our show, along with the many other shows on that site about comics, games, TV, and other fun stuff. Uh, Outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to let us know your thoughts on the Matrix franchise. I'd love to hear them. Uh, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Follow and like those pages, all that good stuff there. And yeah, thank you guys for joining me to discuss Matrix Revolutions. You're welcome. A pleasure. And until next time, so long and goodbye.